0: Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. <laughs> B.F.F.T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth.
1: I don't blame you a bit if you are frustrated, if you are angry if you are disenchanted with the trailblazers organization you probably spent the better part of your weekend coming to grips with uh, the realization that this organization is not moving in the same direction that you want it to move if you're a blazer fan i want to hear from you today i want to know what you make of all of this and uh also Kind of where your head is today, if you're a Blazer fan. Because I think there's a faction of people, when a star player asks out, there's a faction of people that look at the organization and side with it, empathize with the organization, small market team, Portland. How difficult is it to uh, retain free agents and retain the players you draft in a city like Portland? And there are others yet who will look at the organization and say, Man, they didn't do enough. Pass the nuts. I can't blame Damian Lillard for asking out. Should the Blazers give him what he wants? What happens if they don't? And who's really making the call at one center court? Is it General Manager Joe Cronin? Is it Burt Cole, the vice chair of the organization? Or is it someone else? I can't imagine it's easy to be in Joe Cronin's seat today. But it's your seat I'm left thinking about. 503-417-7575. Lots of phone calls. Special edition of this show today. It will focus on Damian Lillard. It will focus on Dame Time. It will focus on Blazer Palooza. We'll talk a little bit of Pac-12 media rights, but I want to hear from a lot of you uh, out there. I want to crowdsource this a little bit. How are you feeling about this? Um, Are you watching the organization make a massive mistake? In losing a player that was a tent pole of this organization for the last eleven years or so, or is the organization doing good business by saying, "Hey, we're not going to just give up our future, mortgage our future for a 33 or soon to be 33-year-old star player who's going to be making 55, 58, 60 million dollars in the next couple of few years"? By the time Damian Lillard finishes his existing contract in 2027, he will have made $450 million. I don't feel sorry for the guy. He's, you know, the checks have cleared. But it's you, Blazer fan, that I feel sorry for. I want to talk about Phil Knight on today's show. I want to talk about season ticket holders who are frustrated. I want to talk about grown men who are upset and expressing their their emotions on social media. I find some of it uh, cathartic. I find some of it strange. I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, it's a business. We know that. It's show business, not show friends. But I want to hear from you, Blazer fans. Weigh in now at 503-417-7575. Miami, is that where Damian Lillard ends up? Is that what's best for the Blazers? Is it Utah? Is that where he ends up? Would he go there if the Blazers try to trade him there? And what will be the bar that the organization tries to get over if as it tries to save face a little bit in the wake of a star player saying, hey, I want out of here. Nobody likes to be on the other end of that conversation, and that's where the Blazers find themselves in the last 48 hours. Uh, We'll take your phone calls. Stephen will weigh in as well, and we will go to Salt Lake City where Bill Riley of ESPN 700 is going to tell us that the Jazz – are interested in Damian Lillard, to what extent we will find out here in this 3 o'clock hour. In the 4 o'clock hour, we've got season ticket holders who are frustrated who want to weigh in. I have reached out to Dwayne Hankins, the president of the Blazers. I've invited him to come on the show. We'll see if he accepts that invitation. I'd love to hear from him. Love to be uh, you know behind the scenes and find out what the Blazers are thinking as they are fielding calls today, I think, from some angry and frustrated season ticket holders, some of which feel jilted by the organization. Remember when Joe Cronin said uh, not that long ago they were going to build around Damian Lillard, right? They were going to – that. Th- their focus was to rebuild around Lillard. And uh, now ha- has he gone back on his word? Does he uh, – you know, as he, um, as he said this stuff at the end of the season, uh, you know, has he changed his strategy? And the uh, you know, Blazers – would like to not, they would like to matter sooner rather than later, but how soon can you matter? Uh, here's Joe Cronin, uh, you know, just uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about it. Joe, is the intention
2: still to build this roster around Damian Lillard and build towards contending on his timeline?
3: It is. I mean, there's nothing we want more than to, number one, for Dame to retire a trailblazer, and two, to put a winner around him, a high-end winner. And, I think that's what gets misconstrued about Dame sometimes. Like, for us, it's an incredible problem to have. We have the best player in Trailblazers history that wants to be here and wants to have a winner put around him. And that's our challenge, and that's where we've got to keep doing our thing and find ways to make this team as competitive as possible as quickly as possible.
1: Dame Lillard, uh, just last April as the season ended, sort of uh, hinted at his strategy is that your way of saying the portland trailblazers are on the clock they got to show a
4: level of urgency or else i mean i ain't go i'm not even going it ain't a threat i'm not you right. know i ain't gonna say i'm putting them on the clock i'm just saying you know if those things can't be done you know if we can't do something significant like that then you know we won't we won't have a chance to Right. to, you know, compete on that level. And then not only will I have a decision to make, but I think the organization will, too, because at that point, it's like, right. you know, are you going to go young or are we going to get something done? I think we just mm-hmm. kind of been on the, it with, you know, fully committing to, right. to either one. And I just think, you know, we at that point now where everybody everybody wants to win. You know, they, right. they believe that I deserve that opportunity. And I'm trusting that we're going to, you know, be committed and, you know, uh, diligent about doing all of those things this offseason.
1: He has uh, since requested a trade. I want your reaction. 503-417-7575. Maurice is in Portland. Maurice, uh, what's on your mind?
5: Hey, John, I got a lot to say. I hope you give me the time to say some of it. Um, I feel like, I feel like first off, um, we all love them, you know, and it has to be, like, and we, it, we all love them. But it has to be said that we knew that that with Neil O'Shea and how things have went and everything like that, and he had all these big contracts and stuff. And most importantly, they was taking all the money that was on the table. He was he was he was getting paid handsomely to, to be here to put but in seats to entertain. We all knew there wasn't going to be a championship. The CJ thing went down. You know, we we all should have known then. You know, like, our best chance to compete was when they went to the conference finals against the Warriors, and what We are in the deep Western conference. So they gave Dane as much of a puncher's chance as they could give him, considering the money that he was being paid, the money that he was taking off the table, the money he got. You know, now, with that said, do the Blazers owe it to Dane to send him to Miami or wherever he chooses? Knowing that they're not going to be able to get anything comparable back, like at that point of uh, the Blazers, okay, he requested a trade. Now, when you're paying Dane the money that they put on that contract, and there's a no-trade clause in that contract, Dame knows just as well as everybody else knows management and everybody else knows, knows. Okay, we're paying you to be here through the thick and thin we're paying you to hire a trailblazers if you choose to. You know, like, there's no way that anybody can sit up here and, and think that, that the blazers are going to be able to put um, all-star caliber talent around him in Portland. We all know no one was coming to Portland. Nobody, no star-level player was coming to Portland to play with Dan. Now, I think a lot of people, want, a lot of players, star players, wanted to play with games, just not important, And we all know that. Now, if anybody says that, oh, well, no, no, because we all know that there wasn't. When him and TJ were out openly campaigning to get players to come here, no one came. We finally got Carmelo at the tail end of his career when he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the shell of himself. He was, he was willing to come off the bench when he came to Portland. So that, that says a lot. Now, back to my original point, now, do we owe it to Dame after paying him that that money that he's getting that's on his contract? He's making all this money. He was permitted to go out and play basketball in a Blazers uniform and be as great as he could be. He got endorsements through Adidas, through Hulu, through Modelo, car dealership, all-star. He, he, built his umbrella. he even, even said, hey, go ahead and make a rap out. That's what you want to do. He was able to be as great as he can be and be who he wanted to be and he built yeah. his brand of loyalty. Yeah, he knew when he signed that contract that he was taking all that money. That was, hey, you got to be okay with whatever we're trying to do here. You know right. what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, he knew. Maurice, that. So Maurice, you without- you're kind of raising a. That's an interesting point because. You know, I don't blame Damian Lillard for being frustrated. I empathize with I think a lot of Blazer fans empathize with Damian Lillard because they've lived through it, too. They've watched Neil Olshea and the organization waste a generational talent, a window of opportunity, so to speak, not put the right pieces around Lillard. In the end, he, you know, Maurice is right. Damian Lillard made more money in Portland, $450 million by the end of this contract, than he could have made leaving earlier. So he signed that deal knowing... He was going to, um, you know, he was signing a contract, making a commitment. It does bother me a little bit because I, I sort of suspect he and his agent, as he went and signed this last extension, probably had a conversation about the timeline and the frustration. Like that just, you just don't wake up one day and go, hey, suddenly I'm frustrated. And there is part of me that goes, hey, like, you know, in the real world, which is not at all like the NBA world, you don't dictate where you get to work you don't dictate the next spot but the fact of the matter is in the nba the players hold the keys the players association and the contracts are one-sided now nobody can make you work if you're under contract but you don't have the right like i couldn't say to my state radio stations hey trade me to a different station immediately or or you know or i won't show i guess i could say that but they're not going to do it right they're under no obligation to do that an nba player lives in a different world and I think if Damian Lillard wants to be in Miami, that, you know, and that's his first choice, the Blazers would probably explore that initially. But, you know, you saw the report yesterday from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN who said, hey, the Blazers uh, are open for business. They're not looking at only Miami, and I and I give them credit for that. Let's go to Keith in Milwaukee. A lot of people want to get on the air. Keith, go ahead. Hey there. So just
6: really quick, uh, I love the show. I uh, just wanted to say um, just – from the Blazers' perspective, not just Damian Lillard, but it just seems like uh, I don't. I'm not a big fan. I'm a little skeptical of Jodie Allen, and yes. she gave like a like an award to Damian Lillard for like being the number one point scorer, and it was like a dream catcher, like basketball hoop with like a net. And I just like I look at that, and I'm just kind of like thinking to myself, like, okay, you know, uh, Damian Lillard's that whole time point scorer for the trailblazers and you're going to like give him like this. And it's just, it just feels to me, you know, it's a little frustrating um, to me. You know, it, it starts with the top down and, and Maurice and you, you make great points. Like we waited too long, you know, to, to, to keep Damien here, regardless of if he signed a contract and it's like, you know, you gotta do. You gotta make the moves early. You know, you gotta you gotta be aggressive. You know, it doesn't seem right. like Joe Cronin. You know, he's super aggressive. You know, making these moves, and I just I just think you know Damian Lillard. You know, getting out is great uh, for him because uh, obviously we don't have our uh, you know organization together. Um, and uh, good for him. But you know, I really hope Phil Knight can somehow get yeah. this team. And I yeah. I, I uh, not- don't. I don't see Jodie Allen. I just, I just kind of see her just accepting of everything that comes her way because she doesn't know what what to do. Because so she's yeah. going, "Oh yeah, great idea. Let's sit courtside of the game. Let's, let's say, I say hi to everybody." You know, it's like that. That's not how this this works, you know. That, and yeah, that's I, not, when I see that, I don't feel good about it. You know, that's I don't feel not, good about it, it at all. owning. And that, uh, you know, it's yeah.
1: That's not – I hate talking over you, Keith, but I I don't want to cut you off. Stay on here. That's not not owning and running a team. Sitting courtside is not owning and running a team. You're right. Phil Knight never would have let it come to this. It never would have been in this scenario. Never in a million years would Phil Knight have allowed his best player to be frustrated with the direction of the franchise to the point where he's going, I want out.
6: No way. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah,
1: appreciate that, Keith in Milwaukee. I mean, it's kind of like Jody Allen owning the Blazers. She doesn't really own them. She's a trustee. But it's kind of like me. Like, every once in a while, I'll tell Anna. I have these stupid ideas, and I'll tell Anna. I'll say, hey, you know, it would be really cool if we owned a restaurant. Or it would be really cool if we owned a coffee shop. And she's like, why? And I said, well, I would just love to be able to come in and sit in the place and have the place be set up how I like it. You know, like you, if you were designing your own coffee shop. But the, the business would fail. Like, there's no doubt. I have no idea what I'm doing with a restaurant. I have no idea what I'm doing with a coffee shop. Jody Allen has no idea what she's doing with an NBA team. None. Zero. D in Portland. You have the floor, D. Go ahead.
7: Hey, John. Thank you, man. I was waiting for your uh, radio show if I can call in. Thank you so much, man. hope you're having a good day and a good foot uh, to July tomorrow, man. Uh, yeah, you bet. Let me just get down to it, Man. I am disappointed with Damian Lillard and how he's treating it, how he pretty much told Chris Haynes, hey, you know, I just want to go to one team and just limit the Blazers of where we can send them. I'm really disappointed in that. Now, what I'm really, really, really disappointed in, and it's been for a long time, is Jody Allen, Bert Cole, and all that cesspool of a freaking ownership because it should have never came down to this. But their plan has always been sell tickets. It's never been about winning a championship. And that one year in 2020 when we when we got beat in the first round by the Denver Nuggets, I believe, that year should have been say, hey, we've peaked. Let's tank or let's blow this up. Keep over here, but let's trade assets. Let's... Do something where we've peaked. There's no reason we should have this roster the same anymore. But Neil, Shea, oh yeah, let's all run it back. Hey, with this BS about oh, if I if I tell you the media, uh, that's then it then it becomes 29 other teams. Man, give me a freaking break, man. It's just a bunch of BS, and I'm tired. I'm freaking tired of of the same stuff every year. Like, please, please, Cole and Jody, you don't like this team. You don't know anything about basketball. Please sell this team. Stop holding us hostage. For the love of God, please. Because it's it's just so frustrating. I'm getting to my age where I'm getting there where it's like, what is this? Am I ever going to see a championship or even close to it? Or am I just going to pass away without ever enjoying this team? it's It's freaking ridiculous, John, and I'm done with it. And you're not alone. D,
1: D, you're speaking for a lot of people. You're spitting truth and speaking for a lot of people. Uh, It's a rare case. Normally when star players ask out, Kevin Durant, James Harden, great examples, when star players ask out, normally the fan base revolts against the player. I think there was, there is some Bad taste in the mouth of Blazer fans who heard Damian Lillard talking about loving the grind and not going to be one of those players who chases the ring and all that stuff. But by and large, I think Blazer fans feel like they are in the same position that Lillard's in. They are locked, they're landlocked, so to speak, on this, with this NBA franchise, and they're frustrated. Sam's in Portland. Sam, go ahead.
8: John, I've never been married, but I imagine this is what it feels like right before you get divorced and you're separated. And the fans are are one partner and the Blazers are another. And and one of them just can't realize or accept that it's over. And it's time to move on. And nothing is going to change. The Blazers are never going to be what they were, uh, what we hope they can be, until this team is sold and we get a management and a team of people in there that care about the Blazers and want to see us win a championship and care about the city. I knew when Cronin came out and said, you know, he's going to work, or, you know, to build something around Daniels. Like he's, hes that's not true. I don't ever think he believed that at all. I think mean, he was just saying what he would hoped fans would want him to say or, or believe, and maybe Damien would come around. But I don't care. Damien can lead. I, you know, he's been great for our city and for the team. I wish him well. I wish him the best. I'm not bitter because, you know, I've been a fan, like I said, since Billy Way Bates. I've come to accept that this team is never going to be anything more than what it is now until it's sold, until we get an ownership that cares about the team. And it's sad, but hopefully that will happen in the near future and Damian can win win a ring and we can all go back to being happy and hoping that the Blazers can win a championship and be what they used to be. When we all went to the stadium, you know, and and watched them play and and it was a packed house – but I don't see that changing anytime soon. So the fans, accept the divorces here and move on and just wait until something changes. That's what that's what I think, yeah.
1: John. I appreciate Sam in Portland uh, spitting some truth about the Blazers' ownership situation. Chad is calling in from Iowa. Chad, thank you for streaming the show.
8: Of course. I I, I love you, John. I'm so glad that you're The only thing i got to say is, like, look up in the rafters. Is there a number 22 up there?
1: You're talking about Clyde Drexler.
8: Yeah, exactly. So he left, and he won two rings in Houston, and we still love him. So we shouldn't fault him for wanting to go win a ring or at least play for a ring. In order, because his zero is going to be up in those rafters, no matter what. I mean, it's obvious. So we, we, we shouldn't be mad at him for choosing to ask for a trade. I think the way he did it was kind of bad, but, you know, you, you got to get it out there.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about that. I want to unpack the way he did it. You know, because we've talked a lot about the Blazers and ownership, the way that Lillard did it. We'll talk about that coming up. Plus, we'll get a visit from ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City, radio host Bill Riley. He believes the Jazz have uh, some more than mild interest in Damian Lillard. Is it possible that Utah has the assets to get the deal done that Miami doesn't? We'll talk uh, with Bill Riley next.
0: Back to the Bald-Faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
5: Lob Lillard. a ducks it off the feed from Blake. Boom! Chakalaga.
1: Lillard with 14. Elevating for that one. Blake's third assist. Damian Lillard has uh, asked the Blazers to trade him. Miami is preferred destination. There are some other teams, though, that I think would uh, like to explore a trade for Damian Lillard. Among them, perhaps the Utah Jazz. Joining us from Salt Lake City, Bill Riley, the fine radio show host of ESPN 700's show there. He is the voice of Utah athletics as well. Bill, uh, this Lillard news, how, how big a how big a wave did that make over the weekend in Salt Lake City?
2: Well, hey, John, how are you? Uh, I nice. made a little bit of news here. We've been, we've been kind of kicking it around for a while because after last summer, Ainge basically fleeced the Timberwolves and the Cavaliers, and he accu- I mean, just he accumulated so many first-round picks. And he and his staff have been talking very much about taking a big swing this summer, not just with the draft, not really in free agency, because it isn't really a great free agent class. They've been talking about wanting to land a star player, and the type of player they need. The, the Jazz are kind of opposite of the Blazers. The Blazers are pretty backcourt heavy. The Jazz are pretty frontcourt heavy. What they need is a star player and a star backcourt player. And uh, Dame, especially with his ties here, having you know gone to Weaver State, is still fondly tied to this state. Was just here a couple of weeks ago. He comes and does a week-long camp every summer. He's probably outside of guys that are from, you know, that are jazz players. There's probably not a more popular NBA player in the state of Utah than Dave Lillard. I would say people here um, are, are are intrigued by the possibilities.
1: The You know, the, the Lillard camp has expressed that they want to go to Miami. Does that give you any pause in, uh, you know, maybe getting some pushback from Lillard or Given that he does do the camp there, he went to college there, do you think that might be a place that he could warm to? Well,
2: here's the thing. I mean, the Blazers have to do what's best for the Blazers. What the Jazz did last summer, Donovan Mitchell wanted to go to New York. Well, New York didn't have what the Jazz wanted, so they sent him to Cleveland. I, I, no offense, I like being Lillard, but the Blazers don't owe him anything at this point in time. He wants to be traded if they want to accommodate that, that's fine. But they've got to look out for what's best for their organization. And I'll be honest, if you look at what the Blazers want and need, they want picks. You know, they, I, I don't, you know, they want they want stuff for the future, first-round picks and some assets. I'm just not sure that Miami can give the Blazers what they want. I mean, if you're going to deal the guy, to me, you've got to, you know, what's, what's the, the, the GM's name, Cronin? Is it Joe Cronin? Yeah, Joe Cronin, yep. He, he's got a job that he's got to worry about. His job is to put the best team on the floor that he possibly can, and I, I, I'm i just not sure about him offers.
1: Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Danny Ainge, his style, uh, Boston, he built a winner, and he contended. Utah, it appears that he walked through the doors and he immediately said, hey, we're going to accumulate draft picks, but – it, it feels like he'll use those picks at some point. Or do or do or do, do the, does the organization, are they posturing it all like, hey, it's nice to have draft picks. Like, you know, the Jazz and the Blazers haven't been huge players in free agency historically.
2: Well, no, because this isn't a market where superstars want to necessarily come to play. But, but to be fair, it's great to have draft picks. They made three of them this year, but at some point in time, and they've got a pretty young roster anyway. You, you can only have so many young players, John. And, I, I, you know, they've still got another nine or ten over the next four or five years. You added three rookies to your roster this year. You've got a couple of more first-round picks next year and the year after. How many young guys can you really have? You know, the fact that they found out last year they had some good players. They got Marketing from Cleveland. They got the Kessler kid as a throw-in in that Minnesota deal. The Abaji kid from Can. They've got some good pieces. I think their timeline moved up. Then when they acquired John Collins from pennies, who's a good player, too, that just needed out of Atlanta, you know, this team's a, I think this team's a playoff team now, John. If you plug a player like Lillard in, and again, if you've got nine or ten first-round draft choices over the next four or five years, what's giving up three or four of those to acquire a player that's still in his prime? Now he's on the backside of his prime. But if you could plug him into what you've got here already, I, I think I think that's the type of swing Ains would take. Look at what he did when he brought you know, when he brought Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett to play with Paul Pierce in in, uh, in Boston. He's he's not afraid to take chances. So I, it wouldn't surprise me and I again, I talk to a lot of people. I'm not plugged into the organization, but I know some. And somebody told me the other day that Danny, who's a great poker player, He's gonna be very patient here and watch it what watch what kind of goes out there. But person I talked to said they want to take a swing at Damian Lillard.
1: Bill Riley, ESPN seven hundred. Uh that that's fascinating to hear that. Give us an idea because Blazer fans are, are sort of wrapping their heads around the idea of life without Damian Lillard. Jazz fans probably viewed a three-time All-Star Donovan Mitchell as that guy just a few years ago, Bill, And, and there he goes out the door. What was that like?
2: It was a little disconcerting, but you could kind of feel it coming for a couple of years, John. Donovan was a lot like Dane. He never came out and said things publicly, but there wasn't great mojo in the locker room, and they had another really good player in Rudy Gobert. The two of them didn't get along. And that was part of what Ames saw. When he came in last year, he was a fresh set of eyes on a situation that was not bad. I mean, the Jazz were a good team. They were a second-round playoff team, but they couldn't get over the hump. And when Ames came in, he just saw the bad mojo that existed in that locker room, especially between Mitchell and Gobert, and said, we don't have enough here to win a championship. And we're going to strip this thing down. So it was tough. For, for people to see a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who was a really fun, really entertaining, involved-in-the-community type player. But you kinda got to the sense over the last year that he was maybe looking to move on. And then when they got marketing, you know, it's, I, I was liking it to this. You know, we've all bought houses. And you see that house that you really, really want, and either you, it gets matched up before you're ready to go, or, you know, you just the timing wasn't right. And then you're like, oh, my God, I'm never going to find a house that I love as much like that. And then something else always comes on the market. Donovan Mitchell left. Oh, they'll never, they'll never find. And then market Marketing comes in. He was an all-star last year. Walker Kessler came in, and he was this fresh breath of, you know, basically he was Rudy Gobert with an offensive game. So I think Jazz fans hated it in the moment. But then, you know, they've kind of adopted this slogan in Danny We Trust, and so they're kind of trusting Danny H.
1: Man, he's got some proof of performance. I think that's a big difference. you got a great owner in Salt Lake City with the Jazz. you got a GM who's won a championship and built a roster that way and is a proven winner. Uh, Bill, we don't have those those things in Portland, and I kind of suspect that's why the Blazers are where they are today. Trustee owns the team. Joe Cronin, bless him, I think he's doing the best, but he inherited a broken roster, and I'm not sure he has the autonomy to make decisions. Um, If this is a protracted, drawn-out process that involves trustees and vice chair of the team, and maybe a GM has some autonomy, maybe he doesn't. Do the Jazz have the stomach for that, Bill? Will they go into the late summer, if it comes to that, still chasing Lillard? I guess if he's good enough, they'll wait as long as they need to.
2: Here's the thing, John. The longer you go, I think it's better for the team dealing for it. I always feel like you get better deals in the middle of the summer than you do late in the summer or even at the trade deadline. So, So to me, the longer this thing goes the worst maybe it is for Portland and because everybody knows now John this is the thing ever the, the blazers are now dealing from a, a position of weakness because Lillard has asked for the trade and the Blazers have said they're going to accommodate him. everybody knows it now and he doesn't now fit with what they want to do with shoot Henderson and some of those other younger players so uh, they should have probably dealt in sooner I mean it's always hindsights always 2020. But if this was the position it was going to come to, they would have been at a much stronger position at the end of the season or, you know, at some point in time last season than they are right now. So I think it, I don't think it bodes well for Portland the longer this thing goes, at least from getting a good deal. Now I still think they can get a good deal and I'll be honest. I, you know, I'm not an NBA, you know, I'm not an inside, but I, I follow it and I cover it a little bit here and, I like some of the young pieces you guys have in Portland. I like Anford science I, I like Scoot Henderson. I like Shaden Sharp. I think you've got some good young pieces there. You add a couple of first-round draft choices in the next couple of years that could be good first-round draft choices and then maybe a couple of other existing assets. Maybe you've got a fun team again. Maybe Scoot Henderson's the second coming of Dame Lillard. Maybe maybe having Dame gone unlock Sharp and – in Simon's a little bit more. I, I don't think, you know, again, going back to where the Jazz fans were the last summer ago with Mitchell, I don't think it's the end of the world for Portland. You just would have loved to have seen a guy that loved the community as much as Dane did, you know, have a little bit of a chance to bring a championship there. But, you know, you and I have been doing sports for a long time. Not everything has a great
8: ending.
1: Rudy Gobert goes from Utah to Minnesota. Uh, ends up with the Jazz getting five first-round picks. My fear, Bill, is that Portland's, using air quotes here, brain trust is going to want six first-round picks so they look smart here. Um, you know, And I think uh, when that trade went down, I mean, people in Utah had to say immediately what a steal that was.
2: Um, they got five first-round draft choices and Walker Kessler who was a runner-up for, you know, he was he was in the running mid-all-rookie team last year. He blocked as many shots as Gobert did, and he's actually got an offensive game. He wouldn't do the deal. The five picks were great, but he wouldn't do the deal unless they threw Walker Kessler in. Here's the problem. You're not going to get five first-round picks for Dame Lillard because Minnesota was so dumb last summer. Everybody opened their eyes to it. I think you could get three and maybe four, but I don't think you'll get any more than that. And, again, he's 33, too, so that's that's your other problem. Rudy Gobert was, what was Rudy, 29 or 30? Not as good a player as Dane, clearly, but a little bit younger. So I, I, I think five, I, don't, I just don't think anybody's going to do that again. Jazz certainly wouldn't do it. But I think if you get three, maybe four.
1: Yeah, the Jazz opened uh, when this talk was uh, just starting uh, about a week ago. They were seventy to one to end up with Damian Lillard playing the first minute of next season uh, in a Jazz uniform. They dropped to forty to one by Friday and off the board now, as uh, everything has gone off the board. Uh, twenty to one now. Excuse me, twenty to one now. Um, you know, if you're a Utah fan, you are probably thinking, hey, I like the way this is trending. Bill Riley, ESPN 700, is with us in Salt Lake City. Bill, before I cut you loose, um, the meteorites deal for the Pac-12 Conference, ongoing saga. I do expect something in the first uh, 8 or 12 days of, of July. I think it's trending that way. But what's the sentiment there? Take the temperature for us in Salt Lake City. I think it's probably
2: the same year, John, as it is everywhere in the Pac-12. I think everybody feels – I think everybody just wants to see the deal. What's the deal? You want to see it. I want to see it. Utah fans want to see it. Duck and Beaver fans want – everybody wants to see what the deal is. Part of it's because they want to know, is my team going to contemplate leaving the conference, which you and I both agree nobody's leaving the conference. But I think more than anything else, I think a lot of people want to see it because they want to see if it's as good as the Big 12s so it can shut up some of the Big Twelve uh, conspiracy theorists that have claimed that everybody and their brothers leaving the conference to go everywhere but the Pac-12. So, I think people here feel pretty good. You know, I don't think people I've talked to have made it sound like it's going to be comparable to slightly better than the Big Twelves, which means I don't think anybody's leaving. Um, but at the end of the day, Utah's in a good spot. You know, there's there's a lot of people that would love to have Utah as a member of their conference, but Utah likes being in the Pac-12. They like what they've established in 12 years here, and I don't think they have any desire to go anywhere. So I hope your number's right. I think you and I have talked about this about eight dozen times over the last six months. But I I I, I, I would guess that we get an announcement. You know, you and I talked last week. I thought it might be at the Pac-12 Media Day. You think it'll be a little bit before sooner, that, and then we sooner. can all talk about it at Pac-12 yeah. Media Day.
1: Yeah, they're not going to want – I don't think they're going to want Media Day to turn into the media rights palooza discussion. I think they're going to want Media Day to be football. about football. They want football. It to be football. Football. Yeah. If they're smart. But let's, it, see how, let's see how smart they are. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a great
2: year in the conference. I I just Utah, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, SC, my goodness. I think it'll be the best year from a competitive standpoint this league's seen. Um, So, yeah, you don't want to spend that one day in Las Vegas detracting from, you know, two or three Heisman candidates and two or three potential playoff candidates talking about a media rights team.
1: Bill Riley, go have a great Fourth of July. I wish you the best, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thanks, John. There he is from ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. If you missed it, or even if you heard it, i got to play this again. Steven, you hear what he said about Danny Ainge and Utah? Oh, I, I heard it, on this. I heard
9: it loud and clear.
1: I, I, And again, he points out, like I looked into Donovan Mitchell too. Donovan Mitchell asked, he gave a list of three. He said he wanted to go to the Knicks, he wanted to go to Brooklyn, he wanted to go to Miami. And uh, the Jazz nodded and then traded him to Cleveland. Here's Bill Riley talking about Danny A. I talked to a lot of
2: people. I'm not plugged into the organization, but I know some. And somebody told me the other day that Danny, who's a great poker player, is going to be very patient here and watch, it, watch what kind of goes out there. But the person I talked to said they want to take a swing at Dame Lillard.
1: There you go. They want to take a swing at Dame Lillard. Um, Blazers have to do what's best for them. Steven, what's best for the Blazers organization? What do they covet in return for Damian Lillard in your mind? It's got to be draft
9: picks, and it's got to be younger players. That's the direction that they have said and they have done. And I said this last week, and I said it the week four, that actions speak louder than words of Joe Cronin. He wants to go young. He wants to go with Scoot and Shaden Sharp. You need guys on their timeline, and that's young players and draft picks. And that's what you got to get for Damian Lillard. He is the best asset on the team right now. If you just give him away to Miami and you get Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson and Draft picks that are in five, six seasons, that doesn't help the Trailblazers. It doesn't help them. And you can't just give away Dame for nothing. Like, I understand that fans are mad, but you can't give him away for nothing with this type of asset that he has because he has value around the league, and you can really help yourself going forward. And you learn a lesson, right? You learn a lesson. When you had Dame, they didn't make any moves to get better as an organization. They didn't do what was better. They they just had to put Band-Aids on everything and get these vets that didn't help. Well, you know what? Now you got Scoot and Shaden Sharp. Learn from your lesson and do what's best for the organization. Now with Damian Lillard, it's the best way to go about it. They need to get draft picks and young players for him.
1: He uh, is it news that Utah would take a swing at Damian Lillard? I don't think it's like newsy. It's interesting because I think every team out there that wants to win is going to assess their roster and go, "Okay, well, how do we how do we make this happen?" Golden State, Miami, uh, Boston. The Jazz, the Lakers, everybody's going to be going. How do we get involved in this and make our team better? Uh, is Lillard play? Has he played this right? Has he misled fans? 503-417-7575, Tell me what you think. We'll talk about that coming up. I want your reaction, Blazer fans, on this special edition of the BFT in the run up to Fourth of July. We're talking a lot of Damian Lillard and a little media rights on today's show. <laughs>
0: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Well, Damian Lillard has been uh, posting cryptic messages and... Saying uh, things that were difficult to interpret for a long time, at least a couple of years here in Portland, as people have wondered, uh, you know, what he's after and what he is about, and uh, you know, is he trying to, uh, is he trying to uh, set the pre- the stage for his departure and all of this stuff? You know, as he talked about, you know, local media making so much of of his comments this was two years ago
10: is,
11: is this a relief at
1: all Dave,
6: to, to get this win because uh, uh, I mean,
4: look at your affect now too it seems like you're, you're a little mad still a little a little bit so i'm curious like if you if you feel like you don't nah, like i'm happy we won the game right um Yeah, know that's what we we come here to do like i felt happy throughout the game after the game in locker room i felt happy but um but, when I come here and I got to answer questions and I uh, have done so much in my career, you know what I mean? Specifically in Portland, I've given everything, you know what I'm saying? I've never made an excuse. I've never disrespected any of y'all. I've never not given you guys time. And you know, just when our team is going through it, I'm in a little bit of a struggle. You know, I see certain people um, not giving me that same respect. So that's why, you know, I'm, I'm a little irritated in here, but with my team, I'm happy with what we did. So, um, that's that. You know, I just don't – and I still come in here and and give that same time, but I just don't – I don't appreciate it, man. So, you know, it'll be be handled that way going forward. So, that's that.
1: He was upset, Damian Lillard. He also talked on a variety of podcasts about not enjoying what the NBA has become, the ring culture players jumping around young players uh all the posturing
4: i enjoy the uh the bonding part of it like we spend more time with each other than anybody but now it's like that don't count regular season don't count get a ring you know what i'm saying like who this guy's the mvp this guy did this he the first it's like bro what? like what is this though like what is this you know what i'm saying like I and I don't. Want, this ain't even. I don't want to make it about my situation, but I was talking after a game like a week ago, and I was just like, they was asking me about damn, but like to win a ring, and, and I'm like, bro, I don't need to prove to y'all that I want to win a ring. Why the hell do I play? Like, I don't need to prove that to y'all, but we cannot keep acting like. While I understand we play to win championships, we all want to win a championship. We can't keep acting like nothing matters like the rest of the stuff, the journey doesn't matter. We can't keep doing that. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like there's so many ways that the league is different. There's so many ways. And I, I think about it all the time where I'm like, man, I just don't, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm, if I can just play a long, long time because I don't, I don't enjoy what, what the NBA as a whole is becoming.
1: Is he, is he, playing into it, though, by demanding or asking for a trade? Or can those things coexist? I want to unpack that a little bit because I think if I have any frustration with Damian Lillard, it is believing him in the last few years, five, six years ago, when he talked about not wanting to be part of the super teams, not wanting to chase rings, wanting to be loyal to the team that drafted him, um either he changed his mind or i missed the point let's go to the phone lines what are the blazers going to do what did lillard do did he play by the book or not jay's in portland jay unpacked it uh what's on your mind
12: john it's an honor to get to talk to you listen to you from the very beginning and uh i just want to thank you for what this show has become over the last couple years it's amazing how something like this could come about because of covid Anyway, just appreciate you and what you uh, bring you. to the city. Thanks, man. Um, so here's the thing: my dad used to have an old saying that a fish rots from the head. And I know we've we've been you know we've been kind of dragging, beating this horse here. But uh, um, but as long as Jody Allen thinks that she's the owner of the team and the Vulcans are are running the show. I mean, I mean, who knows what I mean they may make I mean because of this this young core and everything, um, it might turn out okay in a few years, you know. Um, but I just I just can't help but think that uh, if with with Uncle Phil waiting in the wings, the the league must salivate yes. at the thought of having Mr. Nike himself owning,
1: you know, 100%. 100%. I got to get to break here, Jay. I appreciate the call, but 100%. Adam Silver has to be sitting up at night going, okay, how do I get this franchise out of Jody Allen's hands without looking like I'm getting this franchise out of Jody Allen's hands? We'll talk about that coming up. I want more of your calls. Donovan's holding. Tim's holding. Line open, 503-417-7575. Join it.
0: B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth.
1: It'll be interesting to see what the Blazers do. I want to know what you're going to do. Blazer fans, season ticket holders. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from fans. I want to hear from uh fans of Damian Lillard. I saw, I was driving today, I saw a bunch of kids riding their bikes. No no, no sweeter scene than a summer day when you see a group of kids just out riding their bikes and uh, maybe they were 12, 13 years old. One of the kids had a Damian Lillard jersey on and I went, hey, he's repping today. What are you thinking about today? 503-417-7575. It's your turn as part of this community. Caller kind of alluded to it in the last segment that this show has, uh, has over the years, become a community. It's a place where you can have a voice. I know a lot of other shows don't take calls. I do because I care what you think, and I think you speak for more than just yourself when you call in. So call in. I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575 is the number. Donovan is in Portland. He's going to lead us off. But I'm first going to go to, and Tim in Beaverton's going to, going to follow up. Tim, you're in the on-deck circle, just so you know. But, you know, look, Damian Lillard was a guy as a player who talked about, you know, ring culture openly and talked about the fact that he didn't enjoy what the NBA as a whole has become. Said this in March. Everybody's chasing a ring. That's what we play for.
4: Well, everybody's chasing the ring. That's what we play for, you know what I mean? But it's like when guys leave a team to go to another team, it's like, oh, he's just chasing rings. And I think how it ends up looking that way is because you move on, you move into a situation, and that situation just might not work out. So when it's not working out, you know, maybe the team is having respect for these guys because of, you know, what they've accomplished and who they are. So they saying, you know, okay, this ain't working out here. What do you want to, you know, let's work together. And they're going to try to find the next best situation that suits them and where they could possibly win. So now it's this guy's chasing rings. So, you know, I think you damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, when things change, uh, whether that's in my control or not in my control, then, you know, I'll move from there. But right now, um. You know, people are like, Man, it's time to do this, it's time to do that but everybody that's that has something to say, they will never have to wake up and be Dame Millard, you know. They just they'll never have to walk walk the walk for me. I'll always be the person that has to deal with whatever the pros and cons of my decisions are. So I can't you know, I can't do things based on what, what other people think or whatever the criticism or whatever the chatter is. I gotta I gotta continue to do me, you know.
1: I wrote about this yesterday at johnconzano.com, the, the five acres in West Lynn that Damian Lillard and his family bought a few years ago. Uh, before he bought it, when it went up for sale, I walked around the property. I didn't know he was going to buy it. It just happened to be uh, in a neighborhood where I knew a few of the residents that were immediately nearby, and I thought, oh, that house is for sale. Let me go check it out and I walked around the property. It was for sale for $1.25 million, had a nice house on it, had five acres. Clearly, there was the uh, opportunity there to develop more, and, and Damien Lillard soon bought the property, closed on it. When I heard that, I went, oh, that's interesting. He must be planning to live here for a while. Well, what he did is he built a $16.5 million compound put up fences, put up a basketball facility, a training facility. I'm sure there's a music studio in there. There's a new dwelling there. I mean, it it is a massive undertaking that he has uh, endured. And I and I think and I believe that Damian Lillard made a decision when he did that that he was going to live in Portland forever, that this is his forever place, or at least the suburbs of Portland. He's in West Lynn. So, you know, out of respect for privacy for his family and himself, uh, I'm not going to, Say more about the property. I've seen it. Okay, I've seen the basketball compound. I've seen it, but it's uh, it's a forever place. Like he's not going to have an easy time selling that to anybody. So I believe his kids are going to stay here. I believe they'll stay in school here. I believe he'll retire here when he's done playing basketball. But I'm thinking now about what happens to him in this next season. Not just the basketball season, but the season of life. You know, he's going to like ideally want a apartment in Miami, I guess, and his uh, his employer. Currently, the Blazers are going to want the best possible deal for themselves. And uh, these two things are probably not going to line up. So I'm interested interested to see how it plays out. And I'm also interested in how you're feeling as a Blazer fan. Let's go to uh, Donovan in Portland. Donovan, welcome. Hey, welcome. Well, first off, thanks for the, the great show. And I just want
13: to say that, you know, I wouldn't trade Dame waving bye-bye to – OKC okay, after that walk-off logo shot for all the rings in the world. And I think many of us in the Blazer Nation feel the same and have the ultimate respect for Dame. Uh, and I believe, I do believe, like you say, that he did want to stay and was planning to stay. But I think that he's trying to have standards and self-respect. And he deserves better than, a, you know, a front office that keeps saying one thing while doing another. Uh, you know, I heard the Nets wanted Sharp in the number three pick for Mikkel Bridges. Not, I don't know if that's true or not, but apparently from what I've heard and what a lot of other uh, people have said, the Blazers weren't willing to move Sharp. He was considered untouchable, a nine-point-per-game rookie. Now, I know Sharp is really great and he has a lot of promise, but at the end of the day, are you prioritizing a rebuild or are you prioritizing building – uh, you know, a contending team or a play a team that can get into the playoffs and make some runs. And you look around the league, and a lot of these teams have lots of guys in their late 20s, early 30s, multiple stars, and Dames looking around. It, it makes sense that he would think, what the heck are we doing? You know, and maybe the current CBA restrictions and, like you said, the roster being kind of a, a mess uh, when-, when it was inherited uh, could be part of that. But, you know, I'm sure the future CBA being a labyrinth of rumors during June didn't help either. Right. But like if the Blazers were going to do this, they, you know, they had a lot better options for trades uh, during, before the draft when maybe you didn't have Houston uh, having already acquired a point guard and maybe they could have taken Harrow and you could have gotten that number four pick and, you know, maybe ended up with both their picks and now we'd have, you know, Cam and Amen or something to go with. Scoot. and And it's like, now what do you do? So I'm really curious to see how this plays out. But I totally understand uh, where Dame's coming from.
1: Yeah, I I think fans relate to Lillard in a way that most fan bases will not and do not relate to star players in their markets because you have lived it. You've been here. You're equally frustrated. I think Donovan's frustrated. Uh, Donovan in Portland who calls in, I think he's frustrated that the organization didn't do more. To help Lillard win. And so I do think there's sort of an empathy for a star player that does not exist. It's very unusual. I've always said we're different here. You know, I think you care about each other more than other markets. Like, you know, places I've worked and been, I think you care about each other. I also think you're kind of in it with the players. And And especially with an organization that doesn't have a true owner. There's nobody to line up with here. Nobody's lining up alongside Jody Allen going, hey, I see it your way, Jody. Let's go to Tim who's in Beaverton that opens a line 503-417-7575 Tim you're on
7: Hey John how you doing man thanks doing for having well. me Yeah thanks I you just bet. I want to say I want, I just want to say
8: I feel like you know we've got to cut game a little bit of slack here I mean he's a superstar player playing for he's he's, he's devoted his the last decade of his career in this for Portland and I I can't help but think that
5: Portland is running itself like a small market team in a potential big market city. So I just feel that he's – I hope that they take everything patiently. I hope that they, t- they do everything patiently so both sides can win. But I do feel that you've got to cut Dane some slack. He's, he's he's pretty much a dying breed in today's in today's NBA where everybody – they want to switch teams, you know, like the color of their T-shirts.
1: yeah. Yeah, there is a loyalty that Lillard has demonstrated that is unusual by NBA standards. Um, it doesn't make it easier for a lot of fans who are frustrated with where the organization is or maybe fans that view what Lillard said all those months ago about, hey, I don't like what the NBA has become. I'm out of here. Um, you know, I, I, it doesn't change that, but I do think it helps us understand. Jackie is in Sherwood. Jackie, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John.
5: I'm just, I'm just at a loss for words. I'm disgusted with Jody and Burt. I mean, I totally get where James coming from. Um, we're a special market here, you know. We have a great fan base that supports the players, and I just wish that Jody would just let this go, let us go, and move on with Phil Knight.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would, it would work. At least return the yep. guy's call, right?
5: Right, exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, I just, uh, I'm done. I really am. Done with season tickets. Um, You know, I I feel bad for Dame, but I understand he's got to move on. But I'm just done. I'm sorry. After 26 years, I'm finished.
1: Yeah. Did, Did you call the Blazers today? Were you among those who called and asked for a refund or a credit? I was considering it, yes. Because you say you're done, and you know, I know some people did call, and I was told they were, you know, at least the initial company line is, hey, we won't refund you, but we can give you a credit. And that's uh, not making people happy, Jackie. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to call and see what I can do. Thank you, John. You bet. I think she's going to call, Stephen? I think
9: she will. I think you talked her into it.
1: I don't want to talk her into it, but I just I kind of wondered... I you know, think she said she, would... she was. She said she's done, and then I say your season ticket holder, and I say, "Have you called yet?" And She said, "No." I, I went, "Hey, are you done?
9: Or are you done?" It was probably on her mind, and then you're, you know, you kind of pushed her over the edge, like, "You know what?
1: You need to do this. If this is the way you yeah, feel." The Blazers are good. The Blazers are going to accuse me of initiating a campaign to have people cancel their season tickets. <laughs> but here's the thing: like, if they are in fact telling people, you can get a credit, and we'll have a guest coming up here uh, about four twenty to talk about that. If if they really are just giving a credit, is this a good season to take off? And just say, you know what, I'll take the credit for this year and I'll be back in a year. Definitely. I mean, if you can Have fun get, with that. If you can get a credit, why not? Might as well. Let's go to Dave in Vancouver. Dave's a season ticket holder. Dave, what's on your mind?
11: Uh, actually, I am no longer a season ticket holder. Whoa. Uh, what happened? It was, it's been the last two seasons. Okay. So the, uh, I believe it was the 21-22 season. This is the year coming out of COVID. And it was about August, and I hadn't received my renewal package. Mm. And so I I called the Blazers, I thought, man, it's it's time. And I called them, and my ticket manager said, oh, yeah, uh, you don't have tickets anymore. And I said, why? Oh, we don't have you down for renewal. I said, I've never had to do anything. You just mail me my package. Uh, Anyway, it was a big old debacle. They already gave away my seats. And I said, you know what? Screw it. I don't don't want tickets anymore. And so they owed me a ton of money from the COVID years, um, like for overpayment. But uh, I think they're desperate right now because the other day I got an email from my new ticket manager saying she would like to talk and uh, let's get down to the bottom of what happened. And uh, so... I'm gonna to talk to her boss on I believe Wednesday.
1: Well, are you mad about what happened with Lillard or or now you're ready to come back?
11: Um, I don't know. I just want to talk to the guy and yeah. see where I stand because I had, you know, a twenty percent discount that you're grandfathered yeah. into until you give okay. away your tickets and I want to know if I can get that back. Well, I actually I think want you my can beat now.
1: back. I think you I, can I just get it want back now. my feet. I think but, you could uh, you have all the leverage in the world right now, Dave, because you've got money and they want it.
11: I don't got that much money, John.
1: Well, yeah, you got season <laughs> ticket take money. what I got. Yeah, they and they will. I'll tell you right now, as your as your agent and advisor, Dave, you need to go in there asking for a cushion on your seat. You need to go at preferred parking. Yeah. You need the discount. You need uh, you know coupons for chalupas, whatever they'll give you.
11: What What if they're listening to the show today?
1: No, they should be.
11: And I just got off the phone with her like ten minutes ago.
1: Yeah, they, they should be. I know they do because they reach out to me and they go, hey, you're trying to drum up a campaign to get people. And I go, I'm not doing that. I'm just here. Look, I'm listening to people. I my I don't have a side in this except the side I'm on is your side. And I know we don't all agree on it, but I'm still on your side. I think you have a voice in this. Like, everybody always said, hey, the greatest asset that the Blazers have is Damian Lillard. The greatest asset that the Blazers have is Brandon Roy. The greatest asset that the Blazers have, they always say stuff like that. They're wrong. The greatest asset that the Blazers organization has ever had and ever will have is you, the fan base, the consumer. Because for 40 years, you have come back, you have filled the arena. Even when they've mistreated you, you've showed up. You love the team. You haven't asked for a trade yourself, and you're still here. There will be life after Damian Lillard, and you'll be part of it. And the Blazers organization would be stupid to ignore that. 503-417-7575 is the number. I want your phone calls. Tell me where you stand. Tell me what you think. Steven, did Lillard misplay this, any part of it, if it let's just let's start with this question. What should Blazer fans be permitted to be frustrated with as it pertains to Lillard's role in this whole fiasco? Um, I think Lillard the timing
9: was weird, right? On July first, uh, you know, at just hours after the free agent period, I think it was a little weird in the timing. Um, but I also think Dame should take a little bit of blame for not asking for this earlier in his career. I, I think at this point the trailblazers roster wasn't ready to win and so it's hard to say you know what i want to go to miami and nothing else and expect you know and then expect to get what you want back if you want to be traded or also say trade the third pick in the draft which is you know a generational talent and scoot and bring back an all-star we're going to compete because that wasn't realistic either i think he put the blazers in a bad spot that way but at the same time i don't blame him
1: for wanting to trade blazers didn't do, do, didn't do him right either i i blame him in part because and you and i have talked around this a little bit but I, I think he could have been more vocal yeah, and he could have been more vocal 2016, 2017, 2020, 2021. He could have been clearer and more vocal with his wishes and his demands and I think he had the he had the battle axe. he had the leverage. he could have forced the blazers to do more. That's the part where I get frustrated with him in kind of watching what he's doing. Uh, I want to go to the phone lines Jeff is in Dallas. Jeff, uh, where do you stand? What's on your mind?
10: Hey, I bumped into uh, to Damian Lillard yesterday at his car dealership in McMinnville. Yeah. And, and I kind of felt sorry for the guy. I mean, he was there with no entourage, no family, uh, still doing his charity stuff. There was a camera guy there, maybe a producer. And uh, he seemed so down to earth. I was five feet away from him. And, and by the way, he's not 6'3". Uh, he might be six one. Anyway, right, right. Uh, I felt like talking to him and letting him know, kind of from a from a uh, fan's perspective, yeah. you know what my thoughts and ideas were. But sure. I, I don't know. I just I, I felt sorry for him, and uh, I, I wish things would have gone differently.
1: Now, did you go there specifically because you knew he was doing a community appearance, or how did that work for you? No, it
10: it wasn't a community appearance at all. Uh, I think he was just taping some stuff for for one of his charities. He had a rack of balls there. He was signing them, and they were doing some some video cuts with him. But there was nobody else there. I was just there to,
1: to go car shopping. Good for you. There you go. Appreciate the phone call.
9: Hey, John, can I ask you a question here real
1: yeah, quick? of course you can.
9: Uh, I mean, and look, I understand Blazer fans being frustrated with the franchise and ownership because it's obviously bad. It hasn't been good. But is there a sense that—am I wrong for thinking that the Blazers are also right in this situation, and that they should be exploring the trade of Damian Lillard, and now that Dame wants out, it's okay to make this trade? Yes, like, Because I feel this way. Like, I love Dame. He's awesome. He's a great player. He'll probably have a statue in front of Motor Center. But you know what? It's time to move on. And I feel like a lot of these people that are really bashing the organization, they're more of a Dame fan. And they're saying Mm -hmm. that they want him to go to Miami. Well, if that's the case... That's awesome because that's his best chance of winning. But that means you're a Dame fan. You're not a Blazer fan. And if that's, if that's if that's what you are, that's great. But don't act like you're a Blazer fan. If you're a real Blazer fan, you want the Blazers to trade him to the best situation possible for the Blazers. Get the most back as an asset. And I really have a problem with that. Like I keep on seeing this that there's a lot of Blazers fans getting mad at the organization. saying, well, you got to trade him to Dame or uh, to Miami because he deserves it. N- no, he doesn't. Like he signed a contract to play in Portland. He's going to get. Yeah, he's getting paid. He's getting paid. Like he has over $400 million from Portland. Like he doesn't deserve to say, I only want to go to Miami and Portland needs to oblige by it. I find that I have a problem with that. And so for like, I feel weird for defending the organization a little bit at this point. No. But like that's, that's truly how I feel. Like I'm happy for everybody to get out of this situation because it's about time that it happens.
1: You have to do what is best for yourself if you're the organization at this point. But I'm with you because I sort of separate the Neil Olshay era of the Blazers, which really was the the bulk of Damian Lillard's career, and the Joe Cronin era. Because you have the Olshay era. There were so many things and so many opportunities for the franchise to get right. I think you can be frustrated that the franchise wasted Lillard's best years. They wasted his youth. And also say, at this point, What's best for the Blazers would be to trade him. I think those things can, can live in the same room. And I also think you can be frustrated with the fact that Jody Allen's got this team in a stranglehold. She's got a franchise stranglehold going on. She's basically got it in a chokehold. And I also think you can say, I'm frustrated with that, and uh, but I hope the team gets the, the best outcome here. Because if you're a Blazer fan... You want this team to eventually find its way, and it'll eventually end up with a new owner. But right now, yeah, I I don't blame you for having those things coexist. Let's go to Bob and Tigard. Bob, what's on your mind?
14: Well, I was taking my granddaughter to Woodburn Outlet Mall. She plays a sport. She's 11. She'll turn 12 in September. She said all of her friends are a couple months older. They moved up she is now going to be the oldest player. And she doesn't like it. And I go, why not? She said, because I don't like playing with younger players that don't know anything and they don't know how to play and they're not ready for it and I have to teach them. And I go, that is really weird because basically that's what Damian Lillard is going through right now. And then... One other thing about Damian Lollard, my son-in-law passed away two years ago. And Damian Lollard was his favorite player. And before he died, Dame called him up and had a really great conversation with my son-in-law. And it meant a lot to all of us. So
1: That's great. That's great. Have a good day. Yeah, appreciate that. Bob and Tigard buried the best part of the story there. Like, look, there are people involved here. Fans are people. Lillard's a person. Blazers GM Joe Cronin's a person. I'm sure he's dealing with, you know, he's left holding the bag here, and his predecessor, Neil Olshay, uh, essentially set the table for what we're all seeing. But, um, you know, Damian Lillard's done some good things, Uh, that caller among them in the community and with people here I just think it's um it's always interesting to kinda of unpack how players will be remembered what their legacies will be and and here's the other thing I'm gonna say Stephen. I think there's a very good chance that Damian Laird goes off somewhere else I don't know if he's gonna win a championship or not somewhere else I don't know if he can if he will withstand the pressure of being the guy who's supposed to come in and lead you to a championship like Kevin Durant and James Harden have been in other markets. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. It'll be very different from what he is used to. But I sort of suspect he will end up back in Portland when his career is over. Maybe, uh, maybe he does a last stand and he retires as a Blazer and has an extra game in uniform. I don't know. But I kind of feel like that's where this all heads. It comes for full circle. Clyde Drexler did not do that, but I could, I would not be surprised if that happened with Lillard.
9: Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be surprised either, because I mean, again, as I went off and I said, I want, you know, want the Blazers to explore that trade to get the best. I understand the importance that Dame has. You know, he has two series winning, game winning shots. Like he ended a series with a jump shot twice to advance the Blazers when they weren't doing anything. So I understand the the importance of Dame to the franchise and the community. I just think, unfortunately. The Blazers have, did they did fail him. They failed him, didn't put the right pieces around him, and it's time to move on and move forward and try to learn from that mistake. Do I trust the Blazers to do that? No. But that's just what you got to do in this
1: situation. It is sports. That's what you got to do. That franchise game-winning shot, 118, uh, 115 was the final score. April of 2019 was um, one of the great moments in franchise history. You can't, you can't sidestep that. Lillard now in front against George. Five seconds. George backing up. Lillard doesn't want to pick. Game going for the win. A three-pointer for the game. Yeah! There it was. Lillard had talked about it. After.
4: Yeah. I. So, I was, I mean, he was in front of me, and I was looking at the clock, and the clock was going down, and it was, like, a lot of space between us. And I was, like, the... I got to a spot, I dribbled over to the left a little bit, like towards the middle, and I was at a spot where I was like, it's deep, but I was comfortable right there if I could just raise up and just shoot the ball. And um, he was like a little bit out, and I was looking at the clock, trying to see how long he would stay that far away from me. Um, but then I was like, all right, he's going to realize that I'm going to have to shoot a jump and I'm not going to drive if I wait too long. So I went between the legs to get him to move a little bit to my left. <laughs> And I crossed over right to left between the legs, and he was on on the left side of my body. And then right after I went between the legs, it was like two seconds left, and he moved, he was a little bit to my left, and I just sidestepped to the right, and I got a clear look at the brim. You know, he he contested it pretty good, but he was to the left side of me, and I was so it was like it didn't really have an effect on on the shot.
1: There it is, Damian Lillard talking about that moment. I want to hear from you.
7: 503-417-7575.
0: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
1: Well, Orioles star catcher Adley Rutschman announced today that he will participate in the Home Run Derby on July 10th in Seattle. He's going to try to become the first catcher to win the event. Uh, Get your popcorn ready. Uh, Others in this contest include Mets first baseman Pete Alonso, Dodgers uh, star Mookie Betts. You've got Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Julio Rodriguez in on this, and uh, Adley Rutschman... The Oregon-born kid trying to win the title here in the uh, Northwest. But uh, really cool to see him representing the Orioles in the All-Star game. Oregon State star catcher Adley Rutschman will be there. We'll talk uh, more about this and other stuff coming up as uh, part of Punch It Audio as we take a trip around the world of sports. Uh, We're going to get a visit uh, from uh, Mike Dennis, who's a Trailblazers season ticket holder who should uh, be joining us shortly, Um, and uh, will be talking to us about his experience, Uh, being a Blazer fan who is um, frustrated. And he called into the Blazers' uh, ticket office today and tried to cancel his tickets. And Mike reached out to me and said, "Uh, I'm very frustrated, and here's my experience. And I said, why don't you just call into the show? So he will be joining us here in just a moment. Uh, Apparently, you know, his history goes like this. He is um, a season ticket holder. He renewed to support Damian Lillard. He believed the Blazers when Joe Cronin said, we're going to build around Lillard. Says that he is done, not just with the Blazers, but he is uh, done with sports. Same with the Timbers. He's done and he's playing softball and having fun doing that. Mike Dennis is joining us now. Tell us a little bit about his experience. Mike, thanks for making time for us.
3: Uh, hello, John. Thank you for having me on.
1: Well, I, I have to admit. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go.
3: I was. Uh, I have to admit that I've been extremely frustrated with the Blazers for quite some time, and um, I've mentioned that to you in the past. And I went to the senior. I went to the season ticket holder event that was held in, in I believe it was April. And Joe Cronin and several people of the Trailblazers were speaking. And Joe Cronin specifically said that we are going to build a team around Dame, that we are going to throw all of our assets together to put together a team uh, that's gonna that's gonna win, and that we as an organization owe it to uh, Damian Lowler to build the team. So, based on that conversation and thinking about it, I went ahead and renewed renewed my ticket. So. Obviously, when we got the news on Saturday that the Blazers that Damian Lillard had asked for a trade, in thinking about what got me extremely upset with the organization is not the mere fact that you know Damian Lillard asked for a trade is probably the best basketball decision at this juncture because they have gone Young. But what bothers me is that for the last 18 months they have been misleading. And I'm not gonna say lie, but maybe misleading the public and misleading their star franchise player that they were gonna that they were gonna trade those assets to bring in a new player to, to bring in quality players to improve the product for winning. And every every action that they've made has been the opposite of that. And and, and so when you look at it from that standpoint, I'm angry for Damian Lillard. Maybe, maybe I'm nuts, but if I was in his shoes, I would be extremely angry with the, with the organization. He's clearly communicated to everybody that he had wanted to stay here, and he said that to the fans, and he said it to Cronin, but Cronin and those guys didn't do anything. And so then, how can I, as a fan, support that? The only way in which I can support it or make my or the only way in which I can make my voice heard is my money so I decided to cancel my season ticket today and the Blazers in talking to the rep and the rep was extremely nice you know at this juncture I would get Blazer bucks because their policy is is that they I can cancel my tickets but they don't give a refund uh, those uh, the money i've given can be used for for blazer credit down the road so at this juncture i'm probably stuck with the season ticket for this year and i'll just deal with it but
1: it's just give me an idea of blazer bucks for those of us who are not season ticket holders does that mean it's just a credit and your dollars carry over to next year or um, you know can you use those on a game by game basis how does that work
3: I'm assuming you can use it on a game by, day, game, by game basis, or you can use it for blazer uh, merchandise. Okay. So you're now, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that that's fair, but but that's your policy.
1: Now is is that where they left it? Do you have any other recourse? I reached out to Dwayne Hankins today. He did not respond to a request for comment. Uh, he's normally very good about it, but I'm assuming they're huddled up trying to figure out what the hell to do.
3: Uh, right in the middle of the phone call, my sales rep got called into a meeting with Dwayne Hankins and that um, she just said, quote, well, she said to me, this is our general policy. I don't know what's going on. We, we know that our phones have been lighting up all day and management's been huddling trying to decide what, what are we going to do move forward. So they haven't gotten back to me yet with a, with a decision.
1: It's really frustrating, isn't it? Yeah.
3: Uh, and it's not the money. I, I'm just frustrated. As I told her, I said, we don't have an owner that cares. Mm. I firmly believe that if we had the owner that cared about the organization, we wouldn't be here today. Great. And, that, and it's got to be frustrating for them on the front line.
1: Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine being in charge? Your job relies upon selling season tickets for a team that doesn't have a direction or an owner.
3: And especially now, I mean, for the next, it's going to take them at least three to four years before they're going to go back to winning. So the what the Blazers have done, as you knew last April, they raised our season ticket prices promises that we're going to have Damian Lillard for the upcoming season, and then this happened. So i got to imagine that things over at one center court are not going too well.
1: Mike, I really appreciate you sharing your experience and your time. Let me ask you before I cut you loose. You know, you mentioned in your note to me that you're frustrated not just with the Blazers but with sports, is what you're enduring part of a larger trend that you see in sports that is turning you off um, or, and can it be undone? If, uh, you know, let's say the Blazers or Timbers or somebody figure it out, um, you know, is there a path back for them?
3: I'm frustrated that they will say one thing and do another in terms of selling their tickets. And you're, you try to be honest with them on how you feel as an owner, I mean, basically, they're in the business of selling hope. But yeah. as you, as I told you before, I was upset with the way the Timbers and the the Portland uh, Thorns uh, sexual harassment issues yep had gone down. That frustrated me to no end, and uh, I was told that. Not everything in that report was going to come out w- was accurate. Well, it turned mm-hmm. out it was accurate, and so yeah. I feel misled. Yeah. If Tired an organization, yeah. if an organization's honest, I can deal with that. But if if they're just saying it to sell tickets, I got a problem with that. Yeah,
1: doesn't feel good to you. I appreciate this, Mike. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of other uh, ticket holders who call in and. Uh, certainly think you got the attention of the organization, and I, I think that's part of why we do this show. I want you to have a voice. Have a good one. Bye. There, there he is. Blazer season ticket holder, Mike. Um, Yeah, I think it's really interesting that the entire league does renewals in February. Don't you think it's interesting, Stephen? Kind of, you know, it allows the franchises that, that have some momentum – to sell, hey, we're having a good season. You want to be part of it next year? Get in now before the playoffs when we get knocked out in the first round, like Milwaukee. You know, like, so Milwaukee had its season tickets uh, sewed up before it lost that series. Um, you don't, you know, should you get, should you have the right as a season ticket holder to get a full refund if your team does something squirrely in the offseason? Blazer fans, You had to know there was a possibility of a rebuild on the horizon, but now that there is a rebuild happening, and it's so overt now, do you think the Blazers were not acknowledging that they were rebuilding, not just to keep Lillard in place, but to keep the season ticket holders in place, Stephen? Well, the
9: weird part is is when they sent out the memo, after the Blazers got the third pick in the draft, they sent out that memo to season ticket holders and said, the Blazers got the ping pong balls bounced their way, and now the Blazers are going to build around Damian Lillard. Like, that's and his they,
1: picture was on it. His picture, his picture was, was on the his
9: memo. His picture was on there. That is the weirdest part to me. And that's why I always thought, go, the back of my head, I thought Dame was coming back at, at the start of the season. No matter what was being done, even the Blazers didn't make a lot of moves. I didn't know that Dame would ask out because they're sending out this message. It, it's just, it's, it is weird. And I think because I would love to say, yes, that I agree that they should get, you know, a chance to get refunded if they do stuff like that, but I I just don't know if it's really feasible to be able to allow that. I would love it. I think it's a great idea because a lot of people weren't expecting this to happen in Portland, especially after getting that email. But I don't know how feasible that really could be.
1: I wonder, from a Blazers customer consumer standpoint, you feel jilted. You feel like the organization sold you a bill of goods. Uh, does it amount to fraud, or you know, is that going too far? I don't know. But I would love to see um, the fine print of those season ticket packages and those renewals. All right, coming up, we're going to play some punch audio. I'll pivot out of the Blazer talk. The 5-5 five at five still ahead. Anna will pop in the studio for that. You got the Bald-Face Truth statewide on this great Monday.
0: Back to the Bald-Face Truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
1: David, 4th of July, are you a fireworks guy? Are you a 4th uh, of July person?
9: Uh, Definitely not. I'm not a fireworks guy. I think they are a little over... Well, a lot overrated and kind of pointless.
1: Do you buy the, the legal kind and... Go through the motions with the kids, or are you just anti all around.
9: Yeah, no, I mean we'll buy the legal ones, and you know sometimes hopefully like last year the neighbors they had some uh, illegal good ones, and so we just kind of watch those ones. But I, I just I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get the, I don't get the thrill of the fireworks. Uh,
1: somebody asked me in uh, my Saturday mailbag at johnconsano. if I favor uh, real fireworks or illegal, I guess illegal or legal fireworks, and I said I like all my fingers. Um, last last Fourth of July. This is kind of a nutty story. Our, uh, our six-year-old was fascinated with some neighbor people that were setting off illegal fireworks. And we had kind of set up our chairs and uh, gathered to kind of watch um, what was a mixture of legal and illegal fireworks that were being set off about a half a block away. And uh, the uh, six-year-old got her chair and started to inch closer and closer to the actual um ignition area if that's what you call it and it was across the street about a half a block away and then she was like she was suddenly within about three houses she was still across the street then she was almost directly across the street and i kind of moved down we all kind of moved down and i kept thinking to myself be careful be careful and you know what happened um it wasn't like one of those big mortars but the kids that were setting off the fireworks set one off that screamed across the street about three feet of height and hit her directly on top of her head and it glanced off her and the firework like lit up you know on the lawn that was next to her and she was really lucky it didn't hit her in the eye it didn't hit her like directly in the you know center of her face it kind of just glanced off the top of her head like uh, a foul ball, so to speak, and she picked her chair up and she retreated. And I said, uh, "Are you okay?" She was. She was really scared. She was okay. There was no nothing. No harm to her. But I was like, "Let's just go back down the street. Like it doesn't. This holiday does not need to cost somebody a trip to the emergency room. Like let's not do that." And so um, I get it. If that's your thing. And you set them off fine. Just make sure that everybody's out of the immediate vicinity and you're safe as you can be in that situation. Uh, we're going to play some Punch-It audio. We've got great sound today on this great Monday. Let's have at it. <laughs> We interrupt this
11: broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald
2: Fish Truth
1: Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice,
2: and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the
15: day. (laughs) You're going to hear little snippets of sound.
2: Hey, it's time
0: for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling.
1: Well, the All-Star Game rosters are out. National League, American League, Major League Baseballs, uh, all 30 teams must be represented by at least one All-Star. But I mentioned earlier, Adley Rutschman, former Oregon State star, he made it as a reserve in the American League.
0: One of the best teams in the American League with him. They get a full season of him now. They get a
8: full swing from him now. It's in the right field. It's a home run.
14: His first opening day swing. Adley Rutschman puts the Orioles on the board in the new season with a home run at Fenway Park
1: opening day he went bananas five for five home run adley rutchman he's an all-star in baltimore he'll also be part of the home run derby the all-star game set for july 10th in seattle meanwhile a another all-star uh, that uh, has become a perennial all-star how about sabrina Ionescu, uh, WNBA all-star um she has uh become an all-star once again and if you're an oregon fan who likes uh, some Sabrina, uh, you have to appreciate the fact that uh, she is uh, going to be an All-Star again. Punch it. Ball inbound
3: to Kylie Shook, four seconds left. Yanescu, a long three for the win, and she
1: gets it! Sabrina Yanescu at the buzzer! Sabrina Yanescu and Courtney Vandersloot will join New York Liberty teammate Brianna Stewart at the All-Star game. Uh, They were revealed on Saturday among the dozen reserves, All-Star Reserves are voted upon by the head coaches. They're not able to select their own players. Now, the Liberty have three players at the All-Star Game. The Las Vegas Aces have more than anybody. They've got four at the All-Star Game, but quite a feat. One from Oregon, one from Oregon State, two All-Stars between Adley Rutschman and Sabrina Ionescu. Let's pivot to the NBA where Bill Riley of ESPN 700 joined this show to talk about Damian Lillard. The Utah Jazz, they've got a bunch of picks. Five first round draft picks they got in the Rudy Gobert trade. Bill Riley says Danny Ainge is eyeing Damian Lillard. Punch it. I talked to a lot
2: of people. I'm not plugged into the organization, but I know some. And somebody told me the other day that Danny, who's a great poker player, is gonna be very patient here and watch it what watch what kind of goes out there. But person I talked to said they want to take a swing at Dame Lillard.
1: They want to take a swing at Dame Lillard. Keep an eye on the Jazz again. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was with Utah. He wanted to go to New York, Brooklyn, or Miami. The Jazz did what was best for the Jazz. They traded him to Cleveland, got draft picks and players. Josh Pate talking about TCU Colorado in week one of the college football season. Can it get here already? Punch it.
2: You know, Dion's on the road in week one. They're at TCU. Anyone want to venture a guess, by the way? Point spread there? Colorado at TCU. TCU minus 20. I don't know what to expect. I don't know if there's a bunch of skill in even breaking that game down. I'm sure we will. But I don't know what to expect. I, here is my thought. My thought is the same as my sister's thought would be. I can't wait to see what Dion looks like as the head coach of Colorado. That's about it. I have no clue what's going to happen. It's going to be fun to watch, though. Because uh, TCU could win that thing 49 to nothing. Colorado could win 24-23, and neither result surprises me.
1: I'm tempted to take Colorado in the point, Stephen. I know I sound foolish, but, you know, I think there's a better chance that maybe Colorado is a little better than advertised or the game is a little closer. Week 1 games tend to be squirrely, but Colorado could win that game 50 to nothing. Um, I'm Excuse me, TCU could win that game 50 to nothing and make me look dumb. Mike Florio talked about Netflix getting a... 10-part Jerry Jones docu-series. Also, Scoot Henderson said he grew up wanting to play for which football team? Well, we'll talk about it. All part of the 5 at 5 coming up top of the hour. Anna will pop in. I want you here for it. I appreciate you being here on a great Monday. Uh, You're in rhythm. You're on schedule. You're listening to this show. you got the BFT statewide. You're listening to the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. The happy hour is next.
0: B. F. F. T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
1: You should be following me on social media. Follow me on the gram. Follow me on TikTok. You didn't know I had it. I barely knew I had it. But uh, Twitter's been having some issues uh, over the weekend, uh, limiting... The number of tweets that people can uh, view. Uh, I did tweet an interesting question. Anna, you popped into the studio. Can I bounce this off you? Mm -hmm. By the way, are you following me on TikTok yet? I believe so, but it's more the scrunchy face I make every time you say the Graham. The Graham. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm doing better on Instagram. Is is it the Graham or is it IG? Uh, Whatever. You know. According to John, it's it's the Graham. The the Graham. Marcus Harvey, the uh, founder... Which means it's probably the IG. Yeah. That, okay. The, the founder of Portland Gear, Marcus Harvey, he told me about a year and a half ago, he said, you know, you got to do better on Instagram. Yeah. And so I really made an effort, and over the weekend, uh, nieces and nephews were visiting, and I showed, uh, what is she, about a 15, 16-year-old? 16. 16-year-old 16. 16 uh, niece, my Instagram, and she said, well, how are you doing on TikTok? Which was, che- that was moving the goalposts in my mind. <laughs> But uh, I said, uh, you know what? I'm going to start doing a better job on the TikTok. And I said, now show me how to use TikTok better. And she did. And so I posted a few things. So if you're a TikTok person, look me up. John Canzano on TikTok. Who knew? Um, <laughs> but uh, I asked a question on Twitter that, is, uh, that got a lot of response. You might say it went viral, Anna. Oh, boy. Let's throw in every social media catchphrase
15: we can.
9: You're really hip, John. You're really hip. That's what I've come to this. He's fired. Yeah. Uh,
1: On Saturday night at 519, (laughs) I tweeted, what's the most difficult job in sports? Mm -hmm. You tell me. I had 49,000 people. Who took a look at this tweet. Oh, yeah? Probably lost their uh, privileges. If this was the final tweet you were allowed to look at before your Twitter got throttled down, I apologize. (laughs) But uh, people were answering Blazer ticket rep. People were answering uh, head coach of an NFL team. Some people took it very seriously. Scouting. um, uh, Formula One driver. Media relations for the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Pac-12 conference or... Um, you know, ticket rep for the Blazers, uh, assistant traveling secretary to the New York Yankees, George Costanza reference, uh, reffing a middle school game. A lot of officials got love among the answers. Uh, others said the hardest job in sports was working under Jody Allen. Uh, others yet said, uh, how about being a Colorado fan? Others yet said, how about building a championship roster in Portland? Mainly the GM of the Blazers having the most difficult job in sports, according to that person. NFL quarterback. A lot of people said I have the most difficult job. I don't think I do. <laughs> I actually don't think this feels like work on some days, but thank you. I'll take it. I should make it look harder. I should, you know, I should come out of the uh, writing procedure or maybe the radio show sweating, covered with grease, and go, man. That was really difficult. People would be like, man, he's got a really hard job. (laughs) But I am not holding a jackhammer. Um, General manager of the Oakland A's got a vote. Uh, John Morant's publicist got a vote. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Home plate umpire. Referee. Being a fan. Being employed by Jody Allen. Little league umpire. uh, Conference commissioners got votes. I want to ask you guys, hold your answers, but listeners, Stephen, Anna, What do you think the most difficult job in sports is? Line up now, 503-417-7575. I want to hear from you. In the meantime, we're going to play the 5 at 5. Anna, are you ready for the 5 at 5? Yes. Let's check it. Are you ready? You appear ready. Check it
15: before you wreck it, as you might say.
1: That's what they say on the gram. Let's do it. (laughs) The 5 at 5. The number one story, as Anna sees it, is...
15: Trailblazers rookie Scoot Henderson talking to reporters over the weekend about the University of Oregon and football dreams. The number three pick in this year's NBA draft by the Trailblazers is 6'2", 195 pounds. So I guess maybe that hypothetical transition to football doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility for him. Or
1: does it? um let's listen to scoot here's what he told reporters
4: Nah, for real i, I definitely have last night i'm like i'm in portland right now to get ready for this summer league training camp or whatever and uh i'm in oregon i always dreamed of playing that oregon football when i was younger so the fact that i'm here now uh it's kind of it's crazy it's crazy you know favorite colors red and black it's just crazy you know but uh, I'm, I'm ready you know i'm ready it's my dream and, and i ain't gonna let nobody take it away from me mm-hmm. and i'm embrace that
15: That prompted Oregon Ducks head coach Dan Lanning, has his finger on the pulse of what's going on, led him to check in on Portland's guard, asking Henderson on Twitter whether he's got any eligibility left. literally retweeted a portion of that interview and said, got any eligibility left, scoot. End quote. Dan
1: Lanning on vacation. Oh, yeah? You think he gets dirty looks? From from the wife? Yeah, his wife's going, you know, you're on vacation. Like I get dirty looks. You know. You give me dirty looks sometimes. Just trying to keep you in check. Yeah. I'm working Go over on. there. You Go know? On. Again, I need the sweat. I need the grease. But see, I don't I can't tell whether you're working or whether you're just on the TikTok as you Yeah, call but it. that's working. Like that if I'm on
15: the TikTok, <laughs> oh, I'm <no>. actually <laughs> working. <laughs> no. Your your algorithm <laughs>
1: on TikTok, my love, would would indicate otherwise. <laughs> Okay, let's let's be real about that. Last night, I announced to Anna. <laughs> did you reel? Do you know oh. that dinosaurs reeled the Earth for hundred and sixty million years? Did you know that, Stephen? Uh no, I didn't know the exact hundred, number. That's guess how many time. years Homo Sapien, in humans, have been around?
9: <laughs> I don't know. You got me.
1: Two hundred thousand. We barely got here. We got here. It's like eight o'clock at the party. We're just here. Imagine what this is going to be like for us in like, you know, 140 million years or so. See,
15: that was research that he acquired <laughs> to use right on now on TikTok.
1: For the show, yeah. Right? Show for the show. Reasons. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> Number two story. Wait, you didn't say it?
15: what you thought about Dan Lanning asking about that. It's no, a it joke. On, he was on
1: vacation. He gave, was a, di- he
9: gave a dinosaur take. It's
15: fine. Yeah,
1: it, look, it's not <laughs> a. <laughs> It's not unusual for a really good recruiter to mm. grab an op- any opportunity and turn it into something. He took a, you know, that's teed up for him. Scoot Henderson saying, oh, I grew up rooting for Oregon. Dan Lanning wants people to know, here's another guy, a star player, who rooted for Oregon or embraced Oregon. But the real credit should go to Phil Knight and Nike. I mean, they fostered Oregon being cool to kids all over the country, like Scoot Henderson. So there you have it. Number two. What do you got? What's your second most important story? Uh,
15: Speaking of Oregon, former Oregon track star and two-time Olympian Devin Allen uh, is saying that he's definitely the fastest guy in the NFL. He's 28 now. He's a wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. And, yes, he does happen to be an elite-level hurdler. Yep. Uh, The three-time national champion recently competed at an event in New York where he clocked a 13.04. That's the fourth fastest time in the world in 2023. It'll be
1: interesting because he'll go to training camp, presumably with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's on the practice squad. But the world championships will be held in the same window as training camp. He may have to choose between trying to make the 53-man roster and trying, trying to win a world championship in track and field should be interesting. Here's so, what he sounds like. Go ahead, Steve. No, no. What's up? That was me. Oh, all right. Go. Here's what Allen sounds like in a football uniform. Go. Seventy-five and up top. out of the speedster. Breaks the tackle. Watch
6: out,
1: Devin Allen. Twenty fourteen against Michigan State. I was there as Devin Allen went 70 for a touchdown. Here's Allen talking about football. You know, I've honestly been playing football since I was five years old, so it's almost more like natural to me than
3: running track because I've been doing it longer. So, you know, when I was r- running routes, you know, I first started running routes maybe six to eight weeks ago. Uh, I was like, man, this doesn't feel like I took any time off. Um, obviously, I need some work slowing down because I've just been running full speed my for the last five years. But other than that, it's been good.
15: So asked if he is the fastest player in the league, his response was, I definitely am the fastest. Um, He does acknowledge, too, that the first whirlwind for him was training camp and getting thrown into the fire, realizing that it isn't college anymore. He did play for the University of Oregon, he said, which is high-level ball, but the NFL takes it to another level.
1: No doubt. Number three story, Anna, as you see it.
15: Uh, Netflix paying big money to acquire a documentary series about Jerry Jones, Cowboy's owner. They paid a pretty 50 mil. Whew, deal not finalized, but it appears to have outbid ASPN in a bidding war for the new show. Series will focus on the Cowboys in the 90s and its rise to its, you know, living up the title of uh, America's team It will also feature never-seen footage and videos uh, and interviews from Troy Inkman, Michael Irvin, and Emmett Smith. We've never heard from them before. Um, You might recall Dallas won three Super Bowls in the 90s, and Jerry Jones to this day serves as the team's owner and general manager.
1: A lot of people are interested in this. It's a great brand. They've got the footage. The question is, will it be the real story, or will it be just kind of like the, hey, here's the Cowboys propaganda story? Mike Florio uh, of profootball.com talking about that.
16: Netflix has landed the docu series about Jerry Jones and the heyday of the Cowboys. Netflix is paying just under 50 million. Never seen footage and in interviews with Cowboys stars like Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith. It's being compared to the 10 part Last Dance documentary about the Bulls dynasty of the 90s. We'll be the judge of that. ESPN made an aggressive bid Amazon had been interested early on. Netflix gets it for just under $50 million. This is going to be exactly what Jerry Jones wants us to see. This is home movies. This is a photo album. You don't put bad pictures in the photo album. You don't put embarrassing scenes in the home movies. Well, unless you're Jerry Jones and you think they might be good. Even then, it's not going to be the whole story. It's going to be the legend that Jones wants to perpetuate the myth he has created that he wants to continue to push we're happy to take whatever we can get even if it's tainted by the bias of those who create it we're happy to get the insight but man it would be great to get the truth the actual unvarnished here's what happened that would be awesome that would be worth more than 50 million dollars
1: there's actually a chance that jerry jones provides that because he's such a boob That he's likely to give the cameras in the project moments that he thinks, like Florio says, moments that he thinks are great, but actually, you know, the rest of us go, oh, that doesn't make you look like you think it makes you. Uh,
3: I think that's a part of leadership is to have some of the guys that have gone before that uh, have been disappointed uh, to share it with everybody involved. For me, it's a reminder. I, too, have been here 23 years and uh it is a reminder i've been here when it was glory hole days and i've been here when it wasn't and so having said that uh uh, i want me some glory hole so i have that perspective
1: what i say you know that's i mean i think there's a real chance that he provides uh you know some moments that he doesn't realize he doesn't realize what's happening yeah, I could see a seven-part series with that content. Number four. Mm-hmm. The fourth story, as Anna sees it, is...
15: Michael Vick expressing regret, saying he wish he would have listened to the <laughs> one person who advised him against dogfighting.
1: Wait, wait, there was only one person?
15: Apparently there was only one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the dogfighting that kind of derailed his career. Yeah, He's saying in a recent interview, I wish I had a father figure or somebody in my life. And I did for the most part, but not to the point where somebody was like, yo, man, you can really screw this all up. Um, the word dogfighting was not actually used in that interview with Tyreek Hill mm. for a podcast, interestingly. Uh, but this is the same Michael Vick who, you know, pled guilty to a federal ju- connect, charge of... Dogfighting back in 2007, ultimately sentenced to 23 months in federal prison, later continued to play for the NFL, and by the way, he's on the ballot for the Hall of Fame.
1: Remember when Roger Goodell reinstated... One of
12: the most important things that we talked about is that nobody gets through life alone, that you always have to have a mentor, you always have somebody who's going to give you guidance, support at critical moments. Uh, Michael needs that right now, Uh, and I've asked Tony Dungy to play a more formal role on my behalf but also on Michael's behalf uh, to serve as a mentor to Michael and help him uh, and guide him uh, through some very difficult decisions he's going to have to make going forward. I do not expect to be his only mentor but Tony will be be a big part of determining who else will serve as advisors to him.
1: Look, even Roger Goodell saw it. Why is is Michael Vick talking now, Anna? Why do you think he's talking now?
15: Because his publicist says you're on the Hall of Fame ballot for the first time and you have between now and the end of voting to repair your reputation and get people to vote for you?
1: Yeah, he's on uh, the College Football Hall of Fame ballot right now, uh, along with Randy Moss. So they will uh, announce this, uh, it looks like, in December. So keep an eye on it. But he's on the ballot. Expect to see a lot of Michael Vick here in the coming months. Mm -hmm. Talk about Michael Vick. Finally, the number five story is Anna Sees It.
15: This is a name you may or may not know. Okay. Olivia Dunn is an LSU gymnast, and she's a social media superstar. She has made the 5 at 5 before because I believe there were some security issues with her at a gymnastics meet where young men were gathered outside and chanting her name and whatnot. But it turns out she ranks among the highest NIL earners among all college athletes. So... This gal shared on a podcast last week that the most that she has earned on a single social media post was more than $500,000. Yes, she has modeled for Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Uh, In the interview, amusingly, she says, I usually don't ever talk about money, but I would say six figures when asked about her highest paid post. Last year, her NIL evaluation by On3.com put her at $2.6 million. Her current valuation sits at $3.3 million, putting her second on that top 100 list behind only who? Who's the top NIL athlete? Bronny. Correct.
1: Bronny James. It's Bronnie Street.
15: one. Yeah. Olivia Dunn two. If you haven't heard
1: of her. Yeah, but can Bronnie do the splits? Right. She's a gymnast. What has yes. Bronnie done? I know. She's been on, you know, she was on the United States national team.
15: Right. Well, he plays really good basketball and has a famous last name.
1: Well, he's not, he hasn't done anything yet. She was on the U.S. national team and <laughs> yeah. she's on the gram. She has 4.2 million followers on Instagram.
15: And 7.6 million on, tic- on the TikTok, as you say.
1: Yeah. I don't say the TikTok. You
15: did, actually. Maybe about you guys four and should do a, half a minutes ago You should
1: do a collaboration with her. Maybe. We'll a see. Collab, yeah. see gotta, a collab. I gotta see what she's about. I got collab. I gotta kinda <laughs> watch what she's about now. Now that I know who she is. <laughs> That's the five at five. Five biggest stories in the world of sports. I now wanna pivot to what is the most difficult job in sports? On Twitter at John Canzano BFT. People uh, People have suggested umpires and general managers and public relations people and journalists and athletes and what sport, if it is an athlete, who has, what's the most difficult job in sports? 503-417-7575, you weigh in. Steven, what do you think the most difficult job is?
9: I think the most difficult job would be a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, okay. I, I was trying to think of a good joke, I couldn't, so I, I went with the real way answer, and that's quarterback. I, I Just all those guys coming at you, um, and you having to look them down and just there'd be so much pressure on you to win because the NFL is so popular, it's billions of dollars organization, you're in charge of it. It's yeah, it's just a lot of pressure on and off the field as well. Like, you know, we, we look at the NBA and you know, John Moran, you know, he's getting in trouble by the NBA, he's being suspended, but like he's one of the faces of the of the NBA. But once he comes back He'll be fine. Like, I think fans will forgive him, and it'll be okay. Where in the NFL, if you're a quarterback and you do something like that, he would never be forgiven. And people just critique everything you do. So I think on and off the field, it would be really hard to be
1: quarterback. I, when I think when I post that question, I think about different things. Because, one, I, I agree with you. I think the job of quarterback would be really difficult. I, I think that – I also think about skill, though. And I think about hitting a baseball that's thrown 100 miles an hour from 60 feet 6 inches and uh, thrown with change of speed, change of location, um, you know, change of venue, a uh, lot of moving parts. And what Shohei Otani is doing in baseball is remarkable. 30 home runs uh, before the uh, – 15 home runs uh, in, in the month of June and 30 overall and counting. Um, what he's doing is remarkable. I think it's really special. Um, I also think there are other jobs that are involved in sports – General manager jobs in small market NBA teams come to mind. Head coaching jobs in the NFL, a lot of pressure. Uh, but how about the job of a soccer official on the biggest stage, like the Premier League in soccer? You ever watch those games and watch that guy run around out there? Mm-hmm. He's getting shouted at by both teams. He's trying to you're, you're trying to herd cats out there. You're giving red cards and yellow cards. You have to be worried about fans jumping on the field and fans throwing things at you. It's all subjective. You have no benefit of replay, really, when you're out there in real time. I think that job sucks. I would not want to have that job. That job feels too much like real life. You're crossing the street. People are honking at you, yelling at you. That's the job of being a major soccer official. Uh, I think that's a bad job. What's the most difficult thing, though, to do in sports?
15: I think given the right person, they thrive in an environment like that, though, because they like the power that comes with making that decision. I think the most difficult job in sports, you're not saying it has to be professional, right? No, it's subjective. I think the most difficult job in sports is whoever is on that team of people that have to uh, manage and clean and prepare equipment at the college level, for <laughs> either hockey, football, or lacrosse. Yeah. Because if you ever have taken one whiff of that equipment after a game, <laughs> and and like it has to be the teams, not like Oregon where they're just getting a brand new uniform every game. No, right? that's
1: an operation, though. That's a yeah. that's a that's a fiasco. After yeah, yeah, the games. sure, it yeah. is.
15: But, I mean, like I'm talking about the teams where, like, uniforms that are used over and over again that have to be laundered, equipment that has to be cleaned and wiped down, and you're dealing with sweat and dirt and grime. Yeah, and, I don't
1: even know how they do it.
15: I don't know how they do it either. Just, you know, I've, yeah. I've watched them, though, do that. in
1: the wake of, like, uh, you know, let's say Oregon was playing at Washington a couple years ago, and I happened to see this up close, because there's not a lot of room in the visiting locker room at Washington. And so Oregon had kind of wheeled out, the equipment guys had wheeled out some of their apparatus that they used. Yeah. They had this big, moving, almost locker-like thing that was only for helmets. Yeah. And it had little cubby holes to put all the helmets in. Uh-huh. And it was like playing Connect Four with football helmets, right? Yeah. And they were all just stuffing these different guys' helmets in. And I was like, how do you like keep track of that? Because they have mul- so many multitudes of helmets. They right. have to have a warehouse right. somewhere that is just for helmets at Oregon and i have to assume that like the
15: hygiene process is more than what you get at the roller rink when you turn in your borrowed skates it's <laughs> got to be more than like one shot of lysol
1: if they know? if at all they do that um i i wonder too like you know how when we we travel we'll always go oh you know what i forgot <laughs> i forgot the car seat for the kid or i forgot my power cord or i forgot my yeah. headphones or I forgot, you know, a shirt that I was going to wear. Sure. You know, you always forget something. Of course. The equipment guy can't do that. The equipment guy go, you know what, I forgot Bo Nix's helmet. Well,
15: redundancy is probably their friend, yes.
1: Well, yeah. Can you imagine, though, the night before they're leaving and they're going, okay, let's count the helmets again. (laughs)
15: Let's
1: go back and count them again. (laughs) Okay, did you count the helmets? Let's count them again. (laughs) Now, let's go through the starting lineup make sure all the starting lineup helmets are there. We should get those guys on the show and talk about it. I want to pivot this and give this to you as a listener of this show. You're driving around or you're listening to the show on the 3rd of July, wherever you may be. Uh, big holiday tomorrow. But tell me what you think, as we were talking about the most difficult jobs in sports. What is the most difficult job? Formula One racer? Horse race jockey? Uh, a trainer on the sideline at an NFL game? Ticket taker? How about the person going, cold beer here? How about that person? They got a hard job. 503-417-7575. You weigh in.
0: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Umpiring is hard. It is. It's difficult. It's hard to be an umpire. I don't care what level you're at. Little League umpire, that could be one of the most difficult jobs in sports. I want to hear from you. Most difficult job in sports is, you tell me, 503-417-7575. K.L. Wambacher, Hillsborough Hops general manager, uh, tweeted at me. and He said, easy answer, the food and beverage manager. Matthew on Twitter says, journalist. Um, Luke says, uh, Ferrari F1 strategist. I don't even know what that is. Uh, football official. Baseball official soccer official about parenting the parent of any athlete playing a game with everything on the line That could be it 503-417-7575 is the phone number Uh, Carl click former anchor over at K2 He answered on Twitter. He said the uh, most difficult job is little league president and he pointed out that he once had a mother accuse him of arranging the schedule so that her son's team got all the rainy days he made the schedule in February. The games were played in April and May. Carl click. damn you, Little League president. What is the most difficult job? Uh, Stephen, before we take some calls, and there is two lines open, so grab it at 417-7575 in the 503 area code. Stephen, before we take calls, let's just talk umpiring for a second, or officiating. Yeah. Baseball official and any level, you could say Little League, high school, college. Major League Baseball, Minor Leagues, whatever. NFL football official, college, let's say baseball, football, basketball. Which of those three major sports do the officials have the toughest job in, in your mind?
9: I think the ultimate toughest job would be home plate umpire, right? Like, I mean, if you're if you're first base umpire, third base umpire, I don't think it's as tough of a job. But if you're the home plate umpire, you're calling balls and strikes, I think that's the ultimate, hardest refereeing job that you can have. Because, I mean, you are in total control of the game, but... Every strike zone changes with every single player, right? And so I, I just think with the ball moving so fast and so yeah. much on the on the spins, it's like that would have to be impossible in my mind. So I think home plate umpire has to be the hardest.
1: I think uh in umpiring, I'd have to have Dale Scott or Jim Joyce back me on this, but I think that the older that the player older that the players get, they are harder to deal with. But when it's younger players, you're dealing with fans and parents. Uh, at a younger level. Uh, I think baseball is tough. I think home plate umpire is tough. But I also, like, I, I if you haven't put on a whistle and tried to officiate basketball, there is a subjectivity in basketball and a speed to the game in basketball. And keep in mind, with baseball, the home plate umpire is positioned somewhere. The first base umpire starts the play positioned. You know, the umpires start a play positioned. And in basketball... They're they're constantly moving, Stephen. The angles are changing all the time. It is hard as a guy who has refereed
9: um high school basketball. When I was in college we had to referee some high school summer games. It is very hard and I uh, I got to do respect for referees in basketball when I did that because you're right. It is very fast. A lot faster than you think it is when you're actually on the court and you have to move around with the action. But at the same time it's so subjective. And people are so good at creating contact. Like I would do this as well when I played. You create the contact, and you put the refs in a terrible spot of having to make a call, and you can't call fouls every play, right? So, and that's you know, then you get yelled at by the parents and the players. It's it's, it's tough, man. I uh, I agree with you. Basketball referee is hard. I'd still
1: go base home
9: plate umpire though. A little bit over it.
1: I want to hear from you. Hardest job in sports doesn't have to be an umpire. Could be uh, as a person on Twitter pointing out builder by bike. Says, how about the janitor who has to clean the toilets after a game? Amen to that, Dave in Vancouver. You have the floor. Hardest job in sports is?
11: How about play-by-play guys? You know, we had the luxury of uh, Sean's and wheels, and just think of like you doing that. There's no way. I mean, they're just so oh, focused.
1: I could do it. I just, I wouldn't be Sean's or Wheels, but I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think you have to live it. I think you have to love it, but is it the hardest, is it the hardest thing? Do you think it's the hardest thing?
11: Probably not, but I don't think I could stay as focused as they are. Yeah. I would kind of like,
1: I, I agree with that. I think you have to have, a, something. Yeah, you have to be a certain, certain animal. To, to be in it like that all the time, on top of it all the time. I love listening to great play by play, and I, I got a million a million calls. I mean, you tell me. High fly ball to left center, back at
0: the wall. The Red Sox have taken the lead. Now gets Verlander
11: here in the seventh.
1: Good, play-by-play is good. With Neil there, around Neal's
11: right-hand jam. Oh, what a play-by-way.
2: He went right around Neal with that little step of his and slammed it home.
9: Nasty.
0: Nasty. Watch out for DJ.
9: And,
0: and he had to push Lillard out of the way, <laughs> literally.
1: There it is, uh, Chris Davis. High
0: drive, deep to right field, say goodbye to this one. Going, going,
10: going. Home run Chris Davis. A three-run bomb for the Oreo left-handed batting first baseman. I can go back and back. The punter fields. Kick in the air. Low kick. Leotis
11: backing up. Fields it at the 21-yard line. On the numbers. Left side in front of the Buffalo bench. Leotis at the 30. 35-40. On the run at midfield. Leotis is going. He's going to the house. He's doing it again.
5: Leotis McAlvin into the end zone. My man. My man Leotis. Touchdown Buffalo. I love that. Mariota drops, steps
9: up.
3: He can run
2: a long way. 15,
8: 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, and zone 87
1: yards. Touchdown Titans. Love that. Marcus Mariota going to the house. Play-by-play in which sport is most difficult? Steven, in my mind, baseball, there's a lull to it. You get uh, you get sort of a rhythm to the game. Um, I'm not saying what Vince Scully did was easier than what Bill Shonley did, but it's different. I think the job of a play-by-play broadcaster in hockey or basketball is harder than baseball. What
9: about football? I, I feel like football is hard to explain what you see on the field and
1: like, communicate
9: it well.
1: How about soccer when there's not that much happening and you've got to talk and make it sound like it's sensical? He passes forward, he passes back. (laughs) Charlie's in Vancouver. Charlie, welcome to the conversation.
17: That's when you become either the ultimate BSer or or you're not a very good announcer in either baseball or soccer, I would say, because you do get those lulls, definitely. But most difficult job, only in the last few years I would say it's always been difficult, but now I think it's almost impossible coaching high school basketball or soccer because every parent – sorry, 97% of parents have this myopic condition where they think that their kids are on a much higher level than they really are. And tell me it's not true, John. You've seen it, too. You've witnessed it. It's just horrible. I mean, for coaches, it's just not worth coaching anymore because you can – I mean, I can remember talking to Al Aldrich, who coached several state championships over in Prairie – one of the years that they went 22 and 3 and got second in state. Hey, how was the year, y'all? Oh, it's the worst year of coaching basketball. I had seven kids' parents who thought that they were doing it, and there's one, you know, who's actually there. So every game you're just arguing with parents about who's getting more shots and stuff like that. just think it's horrible. It just brings out the worst in parents.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the hard part is when you know those parents and you know like, them ah. as, you know, normal, well-adjusted people in 95 percent of their life they work good jobs they make sensical decisions you know they're not like watering their lawn at like you know 100 degrees at noon you know they, they seem to understand rational decisions you know they uh, they are think logically you know they they drive logically and then you see them as sports parents youth sports parents and they take all logic and all reason and they throw it out the window and they go you know what you know what this coach has uh, put several kids with scholarships in uh, D1 programs and uh, you know we're doing the extra training and uh, you know my kids trying out for the national team and you're going your kids playing on the junior varsity what are you talking about over here what are we talking about we lost all reason all rhyme all rationale uh, I think there are a lot of hard jobs in sports. Like you can get into the hard coaching jobs, the hard scouting jobs. How about general manager jobs? Tougher to be a GM in the NFL, Major League Baseball, or the NBA? Stephen,
9: um, I think in the NBA is the hardest. I, I think it's the hardest to make your team go from good to elite, like good to contenders. We, you know, even here in Portland, we've seen the Blazers be good and make the playoffs, but it's always that hard step to get to that jump to be an actual contender in the NBA. I think that's the hardest step to do in all sports. I did want to ask you this one about general managing as well. Uh you talked about being a general manager in a small market. I would argue that being a general manager in a bigger market is more is more tough than a smaller market.
1: Bigger market is uh, tougher because there's
9: so much more the pressure, pressure on
1: you. Yeah. I don't I don't know, but I think it's an, uh, is the job harder or is the pressure more? Because I think the job is more difficult when you're talking about Trying to get, uh, you know, trying to build an NBA championship winner in Portland versus trying to build an NBA championship winner in LA, Miami, or New York. Uh, I think every GM in the league would tell you, "Hey, you got better access to free agents in those big markets. Therefore, it's an easier job." But I also think it matters what owner are you working for. Will they? Will they be a taxpayer? You know, and. Then beyond that, I think there comes the media scrutiny and the expectations. Like I think most GMs would take the expectations if they had access to those three roster-building tools because it has felt like some of the franchises only have access to two, draft and and, uh, trade. Um, On that note, in the final segment today, Stephen, we're going to take a look at the betting odds on Damian Lillard, Mm -hmm. where he will play his first game next season. The Blazers... Are high on the board still? Is there a scenario in which Lillard starts the season in Portland? We'll talk about it next.
0: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Fourth of July, coming up tomorrow, it'll be fireworks in your neighborhood if they're not already setting them off. I don't know what that's about. What is that about, Stephen? These people that set off firecrackers mostly, um, like, two, three days before the Fourth of July. I don't get it. I don't get it.
9: Yeah, it's, uh, again, it's not my thing. I don't get it either, but I think, you know, my guess would be this, John. I would guess that people love fire, like, they're, like, you know, they're pyros, and so they just love to, like, uh, you know.
1: Any excuse.
9: Yeah, I just, I feel like that's got to be it
1: kind of be rooted in there somewhere. It, it it I think it's worse. I think it's more offensive than the people who opened up uh, their presents early on Christmas. You know, I'm a Christmas morning guy. I'll tolerate you if you're a Christmas Eve guy. Some people have reasons for that. Some people they're, you know, they're going somewhere else for Christmas or that's a tradition in their family. Like you could explain that to me. What what doesn't make sense to me is you setting off a firecracker 2 days before the 4th of July. And it happens every year right around July 1. It's kind of like that marshmallow experiment that the Stanford uh, researchers did, where they put the marshmallows in the room. And they tested uh, those little kids' ability to, like, do they will they wait and take more marshmallows, or are they compulsive? Janu- July one every summer, July one signals two things: one, disappointment and free agency for the Portland Trailblazers; <laughs> two, which of your neighbors have impulse control problems? Which direction can you look out your window? to hear the fireworks going off on July 1. Happens every year, same people, same direction, neighborhood dogs all going bananas. Keep your fireworks under control. Wait for the 4th. That's what the, that's what the whole thing, that's the whole process is waiting for the 4th of July. And oh, by the way, don't be that guy who starts setting off the, you know, like your colorful fireworks at like 3 p.m. Save them for when it's dark. Be appropriate is what I'm saying. Th- that's, that's normal. That's the real problem
9: is the, it's the dogs, right? And so it, it, it's a whole chain reaction of the fireworks are loud, and then it scares the dogs, and then they're loud, and then it's just a vicious cycle that won't stop, and then
1: it's just everyone's loud in your neighborhood at night. There you go. Yeah. My neighborhood. I got some fireworks, not going to lie. Bought some fireworks today with the kids. We're going to set them off when it gets dark tomorrow. I will not be setting them off tonight because I can't wait on that. Note, let's talk about setting off the fireworks in the NBA. Current odds per DraftKings, uh, that is the uh, legalized wagering entity here in the state of Oregon, for Damian Lillard's next regular season minute played, the Miami Heat are the favorite on the board at minus 300. Second favorite on the board, the Boston Celtics at plus 550. Third, the Portland Trailblazers at plus 700 or 7-1. Seven to one. After that, it's the Clippers, the Sixers at ten to one, the Nets at fourteen to one, the Spurs at eighteen to one, and don't look now, the Utah Jazz at twenty to one. Steven, let's unpack this a little bit. What's a good bet? What's a bad bet when it comes to uh, Damian Lillard's next home, Miami? Prior to his announcement that he was going to uh, that he asked for a trade, Miami was two to one. Before that, came off the board, has reemerged at minus three hundred. Is it a good bet at minus three hundred? Um, I wouldn't say it's a good bet
9: at minus three hundred. Although I would say I think that they are the favorites. I think they're the most likely to land Dame. The problem with Miami is they just don't have a you know a straight up trade with the Portland Trailblazers. There's going to have to be a third team involved if Dame's going to go to Miami. I I just cannot I cannot see the Blazers accepting the trade surrounded by Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and Caleb Martin and some draft picks like that. That doesn't do anything for the Trailblazers. And if they do that and they give in, they just give the Miami Heat, Damian Lillard for that package, good for the Heat. But I just don't I don't see how the Blazers do that. So I think the Heat have to get a third team involved. But I would also say this, John, and I've heard this from different people, is, you know, Damian Aaron Goodwin, they, they've they made it clear, like, they want to go to Miami, right? And I think Portland is willing to try to explore that option and try to get, you know, Miami and Portland and Dame all on the same page to try to get him there as much as possible, but they only really can they only can do so much, right? And you can't just accept a trade that's pennies on the dollar uh, for Dame to Miami. So I I do think they're the favorite. I think they're the most likely to land him. But minus three hundred is a pretty steep price for him.
1: All right. So uh, it's interesting because the more I more you talk about it, the more I think about something that I think is a very real possibility. Because Lillard has not come out and made a demand. The framing of his trade ha- request has been that he has requested a trade. And that the Blazers initially would uh, honor that and try to find him a good home. Now subsequently, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting on Sunday that the Blazers are open for business and will do what's best for them. There's a a possibility here, and I keep looking at Miami at minus 300 on the board and Portland at plus 700. And I think what could happen, if Damian Lillard has expressed to the Blazers that He absolutely wants to be in Miami. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. And if part of that request has been, I want to be traded, and if it takes more time and you can still get me to Miami, I'm willing to wait more time, there's a possibility he could start the season in Portland. 100%
9: possible, and that happened this season. Kevin Durant requested a trade from Brooklyn. He went out and he still played for the Nets because he enjoys playing basketball. I think Dame's in the same camp where... You know, would he be happy playing in Portland? Probably not. But the guy just likes to play basketball, and that's kind of what he does. And I could see it where a scenario where he says, "Yeah, you know, I want to go to Miami." And Portland says, "Okay, we're going to do all we can, but if you really want to go to Miami, we may have to wait till the end of next off or the trade deadline." And Dame, he has four years left on his contract. Like he has no choice what to do unless he's going to sit out for four more years, which I can't imagine he does that. So I do think there is a there is an off chance that Dame is back in Portland. But it's not going to be for the long run. It's going gonna No, be, not for
1: the long haul. It, it could be till February. could be early in the season. It right. could be just until they can get a deal done. I think there's another angle to this, too, because I've – look. All right, so scenario one is they trade them to Miami and they take pennies on the dollar, which I don't think is a likely scenario because I don't think Burt Cole and Jody Allen, for all their sins against humanity, I don't think they're going to want to look like boobs here. And I think it's really going to be important to them to look like they got a win here on the Lillard trade because it's their one chance to look like they did something, right? And these are, again, these are people who are not experienced in making a bunch of deals and keep an eye on this. Um, But I actually think that part of the equation here could be that Lillard starts the year in Portland because, not because there's not a great deal out there for him. And, and the Blazers are willing to take pennies on the dollar, but maybe because the front office is a little stubborn and tells him, hey, we're trying to get you to Miami, but we need five first-round picks, like like the Jazz got for Rudy Gobert. And so that will take time to put that deal together. It could have three teams. could have four teams involved. It could be a, a, a trade that happens at the deadline in February. I mean, it could take time. So I don't think you're a sucker if you bet – the Blazers plus seven hundred and and say, I think uh, you know, there's a chance he starts the year in Portland. Now, I don't think it's ideal. I don't think Dame that's what he wants, but I don't think it's I don't think that's unthinkable. I, I think it just kinda depends on
9: what Dame what he ultimately wants, right? Like if he ultimately says, I only want to play in Miami, then that's kind of the option he has is well, you're probably going to have to wait a little bit until we can figure out a trade to get to there because we can get you to Utah, we can get you to Philadelphia, we can get you to Brooklyn. They have trade offers that they will offer, and they're, they're decent and we can accept them. But if you're dead set and going to Miami, you're going to have to wait a little bit. You're going to have to work with us, and that's unfortunate for Dane because he wants out. But you know what? If he if he's dead set and going to play for Spolstra and Pat Riley, he, he's going to have to
1: make another, Uh, you know, he's going to have to wait a little bit. He's going to have to wait it out unpack Boston the Clippers the 76ers Brooklyn those that group of teams that quartet of Boston the Los Angeles Clippers the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets why are wide Don't those destinations work for Lillard? I just don't know what Boston's going to give up because they are contending. Like, it would be
9: Jalen Brown, but at the same time, if Boston trades Jalen Brown, they're not as good. Like, you need Dame with Jalen Brown to compete for a championship. So I just don't know what Boston's going to give up in that scenario. Philadelphia, they got the James Harden contract, and I think that does match up with, with Dame. And you've combined Dame and Joel Embiid. That's a great little team you got going there in the Eastern Conference I think Philly is a nice little dark horse for them. Brooklyn is a team that he's talked about because of Mikel Bridges. Uh, he's friends with him. He wants to go there, but they're not really ready to contend. And then I think Utah has the most assets to give up if they actually do want uh, Dame. They can give the most assets in that trade.
1: Yeah, I, I keep looking at those teams and thinking, what, where could he end up? Finally, the San Antonio Spurs. I think it's fashionable because Victor Wembanyama there. Is that a reasonable destination for Lillard in your mind? No, not not at all. Not right now. So I think it's Miami, I think it's Portland, uh, staying staying in Portland, and keep an eye on Utah. Those are the three that I look at. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.